Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome once again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. I am one of your hosts, Justin Gerber, a senior writer at Consequence of Sound, for what I'm sure will be a light, breezy episode covering light, breezy material. Haha, ha, just kidding. Swastikas, Stubums, and Schwimmer's stash are only the tip of the iceberg. That is the often chilling app pupil, the Summer of Corruption section from King's novella collection, Different Seasons. Now, let's go around and talk about when we first encountered app pupil whether it was the novella or the film. And also, yeah, we might as well introduce the rest of the people here, too. Who is that right in front of me? Uh, this is Robert McKenzie. Uh, and, uh, you know, constant, con- constant contributor to the podcast and the COS. I first experienced Apt Pupil via the trailer with Ian McKellen for the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I haven't read any of these until now. Um, and I remember being like really intrigued by the the trailer, and I really wanted to see it, but I didn't see it until a couple of years ago. And um, well, again, we'll save your thoughts on that. For yeah, later. yeah, I saw that before before the novel, but I did read the wonderful Pocket Books edition, keeping it strong, keeping it real, different seasons, Pocket Books, and um, yeah. So I'm, I'm a total brand new newbie to uh, Apt People, and. The person next to me is not my brother, but it is. I like to think I'm your brother. Um, <laughs> brother from another. You know. <laughs> mother. <laughs> your uh, brother and loser to Mel Castle. That's right. Um, I am a total newcomer to all forms of apt pupil. Hadn't even heard of it. Mm. Um, I knew that Shawshank was part of a book that included more than one novella, but I didn't know what the other novellas were except for the body. So I've never, I'd never heard of Breathing Method and I'd never heard of apt pupil. Oh, wow. And so I read it this weekend, and I watched the movie for the first time this weekend. I'd also never heard of the movie. I was surprised. Ian McKellen, David Schwimmer. With the title, do you think it was going to be some Dead Poet Society type story? Well, no, you guys kind of <laughs> kind of built up the uh, quote unquote hype you. for this. <laughs> I think it was Randall who was like, "I wish I could, I wish I could watch you read after you watch." It's a dark time. Yeah, it's a dark time to read it. Um, yeah, I like again. I like your pocketbooks editions. Most of these those editions I don't like, but I like the um, was it train tracks. On the cover? Yeah. I like it. It's the Stand By Me. I'm sorry. It's yeah, the body it's, uh, the body uh, train uh, animations. Is there um, a description on the back of those books about App Pupil? They do talk about it a little What's like bit. What's like the brief? <laughs> they, they characterize it as the inspiration for the harrowing film about a top high school student and his obsession with the dark and deadly past of an older local as if it was only written to yeah. inspire the film, <laughs> and, yeah, but, like based and, on the based on the film. It's by, also by really Brian Singer. vague as to. I think that would be just reading that. I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm interested. But then when you're like, oh, that's the history of that local, <laughs> and then it's just yikes. That, from that there is on though out. a very accurate. This is an accurate yeah, yeah. back of book description. It is. It's for, more accurate than the Shawshank these. one. The Shawshank one seems like it's more like, ooh, the evil revenge on the warden. Right. Like, nah, it's not. Really yeah, what hey. Going. Shout out the pocket books edition. You know, well, they, I don't know. They got their, it right. their Cujo one sucked, and their ro- and their Roadwork one sucked. Oh, can we find out who wrote this? 
Who does write the, these? I don't who's, know. Why are they credited? The, whoever's writing for the pocketbooks, paperback reissues for Stephen King, let us know, please, immediately. I wonder how long it takes We'd him to love do those to have write-ups. You on. We would love you. We've got a lot of space to fill in the next few months. So please, we, all, we have a lot of space we need to fill before we um, hit up Christine, which will take us longer than usual to read. Um, a little bit of history behind this, and actually a little bit of history about all the different seasons novellas, is that... He did not start writing these after, for instance, The Dark Tower or, I guess, Roadwork or whatever we had covered earlier in the 80s. He had worked on these throughout the 70s. Um, this is from uh, Tor.com is, was doing a huge Stephen King reread, and they have some information about this. They write, uh, in between drafts one and two of most novels he writes, he, King will, if he doesn't set out to write a novella, he'll set out to write just a short story. Um, but, however, during this period of... Um, so after Salem's Lot first first draft, he wrote The Body, mm. and then he finished Salem's Lot. After finishing the first draft of The Shining, he wrote That Pupil, and then finished The Shining. And then after The Stand, um, I think he wrote Shawshank after The Stand. And then he had mm. – he didn't have enough seasons, so he finally <laughs> finished it up with The Breathing Method, and then they distributed uh, different seasons. Different seasons did not do very well, actually, uh, commercially when it came out. However, well, I don't doubt it. That's critics fine. did start to take notice of the depths of King as a writer in terms of the drama, because we had seen a lot of drama in those earlier supernatural tinged stories. But these are straight non supernatural at all. I mean, yeah, because I can totally see people grabbing this and going like, "Where's the horror? Where's yeah. the you know?" I mean, there's horror, there's but it's horror, not supernatural horror. But it's <laughs> yeah, interesting absolutely. that I mean, he separated his Bachman works. I, I don't recall his exact justification. It's like a tone thing. He didn't yeah. want he didn't want it to be known that it was him. And this is a completely different tone. But he is fine using his real name. Well, he had been outed at this point, right? Bob no, had he? No, not yet. Not yet, because Thinner hasn't oh, come thought, out yet. Thinner was released as a Bob. Oh, you're too. right. I was thinking Running Man, but it was just in the foreword for Running Man where they talk about that. Now, of course, by the time the great Running Man film came out, he was already out. Right, right. As, as Bachman at that point. So yeah, that's a little bit of a background. So this had been sitting around since those days, since those dark days. I can't imagine doing The Shining and App Pupil like around the same time. That's a dark period in King's uh, life. Yeah, no joke. One right, back only, to back. One can only assume. <laughs> now to take a break. <laughs> now to take a <laughs> Some break to write fare. about the darkest child I'll ever write about. After, Well, I guess he was writing about like kind of this nice, well, innocent Danny in The Shining, right? And yeah, then he's going to combat Danny. that against a 45-year-old Danny. <laughs> He's going to combat that with a 13-year-old nightmare That's child. That's why I'm curious as to why he didn't put it under Bachman because yeah. of rage. Well, I, seems- I, I think, well, I think he might have figured out, well, I've got a little more time because Christine's a longer book. And maybe he figured, I've got these, what I feel are strong, a strong set of novellas, not quite long enough to warrant a novel. Well, I guess you say that pupil is, it's just about a novel, though. I mean, it's a pretty long novella. It is a, the, long, the longest in this book, right? Yeah. And yeah, I think it goes this, The Body, Shawshank, and Breathing Method is only like... 70, 80 pages or something like that. Oh, wow, that's great. But it's interesting <laughs> to think of his mindset in the, la- in the late 70s. Um, I'd also be interested oof. to know about novellas in general. Were they doing well in this time period? What was the prevalence of the novella in the bookstore? That's a good question because the publisher was much more keen on getting Christine out there than putting this out. So it wasn't like the They've publishers were like, hyper hurry, please, put, out, it was put probably, out your four novellas. It was probably King sitting there going, I need more time to finish Christine. That's what I'm saying, saying, yeah. (laughs) And was like, here's uh, four stories that I wrote a long time ago. See what you can do with it. (laughs) He's like, it's too bad I already threw out road work. I could have released that around this time. Give me a couple more months under the King name. 
They should um, just put Road Work out before every other release, and it would just pale. And, the releases would be great next to Road Work. It doesn't matter. He should just keep putting out Road Work and reissues just so exactly. he can be reminded of how bad People Road Work like, is. People were like, oh, man, this is awful. And then the next one's like, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, Sleeping Beauty is a masterpiece. <laughs> Mel um, still haven't gotten around the Sleeping Beauties yet, right? Yeah, uh, the Sleeping Beauty watch um, <laughs> in my apartment. Yeah, um, I think the book moved a couple of inches because oh, my wow. cat jumped on my nightstand. But no, I haven't uh, Only cracked a, it open again. A non-human presence <laughs> could move your Sleeping Beauties <laughs> book from its bookshelf. Look, I am going to read it. Maybe I'll love it. We still don't know. Well, no, and I will hold off for about three more years, maybe four more years on before we get to Sleeping Beauties. Um, also, for those of us who listen to our episodes that take place in between our book reviews of Stephen King slash Richard Bachman novellas, books, uh, short story collections, um, nonfictions, in the case of Don McCobb, uh, we were talking about Chance starring Hugh Laurie on Hulu and with oh, Mel. We, right. we, you, weren't, you weren't unable to be here last week, but we wanted to get a, uh, an update. Have you had a chance to watch uh, chance on Hulu. Oh no, I'm sorry. I don't have Hulu. That was our worry oh, that you didn't wow. have it. Yeah, I don't have it. And I was finishing up Mindhunter, and uh, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll give Chance a chance one of these days. Take a chance with Chance. I will. Oh, I boy. do. I did love Mindhunter. I will say, I finished that up. And, yeah, um, that was that was pretty solid. I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming next. Mm-hmm. I just started Godless. On Netflix. Anyway, See, that sounds we'll yeah, sorry. This is a. This <laughs> sounds like an evil tweet. We'll talk about yeah, that. Sounds like a news episode. <laughs> hey, everybody, remind me to talk about this in the one week when we're recording that episode. Uh-huh. It looks like the poor man's Deadwood. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, uh, but it's. We'll talk about it next week. Mm, yeah, we'll talk we'll about it next save week. your thoughts, Mel. We will talk about that in chance <clears throat> next week. Uh, but let's get down to the uh, the breakdown of App Pupil. Let's start off with the hook, which essentially is corruption. Correct, <laughs> because I mean that's literally. The subtitle for this um, this book in the novella collection is "The Summer of Corruption." Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can. I can change it. You can change it exactly. Um, my question is right off the bat. You know, what? I'm going to hold this question for later on until oh. after we talk about Todd and uh, and and. Dinker slash Dussender. Okay, okay. We're going to hold it off. We'll have to for later on in the week in our studies. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's about corruption. I mean, what else did you find that, were, that was prevalent about this? Obviously, evil is a major theme here. Um, the reality-based evil that is permeating I forever. I think it also does a really good job illustrating uh, just how um, delicate people are at a, their coming of age. Mm. Um, it, just one thing can can set someone down the wrong path, and they do a really good job of fleshing out Todd. And we'll, well, we'll get more into that. But That's an interesting take on it Todd. Was like, I think there's a lot we can say about that. There's, yeah, I mean, of of the uh, two coming of age stories in this, <laughs> this is definitely the darker path. But um, I, I, I kind of saw that that theme um, of just you know the outside influences uh, and and how they've shaped this young individual into. Not a very good person. The corruption theme to me is interesting because it implies a foundation of innocence, which I will get into this obviously when we discuss Todd, but he does he doesn't seem very innocent to me. Yeah. And so yeah. to me it was it was about um not so much corruption from a place of purity at the beginning, but the past and being haunted by the past and what you can dig up and how things stay with you and trauma and being haunted. And also um a pursuing horror like i i got echoes of dance macabre from todd's um obsession with Dusender. Yeah, yeah. and i was thinking about 
how we consume horror and how we go for the gooshy bits, as Todd put it, and like what makes that morally okay and what makes it morally wrong in certain instances. We can reach out to our parents and say, hey, I told you I wasn't that bad as a kid. I could have gotten into Nazism. No, no, it's fairly interesting that you said that, though, because I feel like this is exactly what horror fans don't want to be associated with exactly and in terms of real evil well you're into this so you must be evil and this must be the path you're going down and you must be a real you know sicko and sicko fan but this is you know i think he does and i think that's why he does such a good job at showing um no there's a difference like he's not there's something off there's something off here and Mm, definitely you know, he's not in control. Whereas he said in Dance Macabre that horror fans indulge horror to kind of as a cathartic experience so that, you know, as to never do anything like that ever. Um, this is much more the yeah, complete opposite. And we'll mm-hmm. get into that a little bit more. And obviously. also secret keeping is a theme. Oh, yeah. 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 And who's and, and lying. <laughs> Deception. Deception. Um, every sin, if you look at the seven deadly sins, except gluttony, I guess. No, no, not a lot of gluttony stuff going on here. Maybe not. Oh, no. He, there's some lust, I guess. There's, oh, there's lust. He feeds uh, that boy. cat a lot. Yeah, like he's eating the cat. That's the, that's the, he throws no, he the, those the cats cat. in the oven. No, the cat's eating too much and it leads to his death. Yeah, if the cat wasn't so gluttonous, <laughs> the cat, this cat would have been fine. All right, we're seven for seven. Um, Folks, we're yeah, trying we to keep, we're trying to keep this as light as humanly possible out here because it's going to get dark. It's Thanksgiving weekend. We're trying to keep things <laughs> oh, as light boy. as possible. Uh, there's a couple more things that, um, I guess we can call them exposition Weisskopf has to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that definitely do, I don't know if they necessarily, yeah, I'll say they hammer home the point. He writes, um, well, King writes, uh, Weisskopf says, maybe it is impossible to stand close to murder, pile on murder, and not be touched by it. And then there's a case later on where Weisskopf is musing about um, World War II and what happened in World War II with the Nazis and Hitler, and if that ever happened again, what it would look like. And he writes, um, I think most of them would look like ordinary accountants, little mind men with graphs and flow charts and electronic calculators all ready to start maximizing I'm sorry, maximizing the kill ratios so that the next time they could perhaps kill 20 or 30 million instead of only six. And some of them might look like Todd Bowden. And um, we don't like to get too political on the podcast, but if you look at the the Richard Spencers of the world, they kind of do fit this description, right? There was just that New York Times article. Did you guys read that about? And the headline was literally the Nazi sympathizer next door. And it's about this button up American man. And it's obviously, you know, modern alt-right yeah. Sensibilities. It's the New York Times is getting, I think, justified flack because they really hu- they try to humanize this guy, and they're like, you know, he's just cooking a casserole for his wife, and he thinks uh, that Jews should be eradicated. I don't know, <laughs> and so they're get, they're getting a lot of blowback. Sounds like a, um, a, an, an inhuman interest piece to me. Um, they also apparently linked to us to the site where you can buy a swastika armband, like in the article. The Times have been doing so good for it. so long. And, uh, I'm huh. telling you, well, there's something directly from the book that I was going to bring up later but, but the, that we can get to, but about that kind of thing and, and why Todd justifies getting into all this stuff. Well, I just think it's interesting, especially now. I mean, what, I guess this was written in the late 70s, put out in the early 80s, is that our ideas of Nazis and people in the KKK are skinheads and people who live like, you know, your stereotypical like backwards skinheads. All black, throwing up the signs. Like green room. Yeah, like green yeah, room. Like tats that, everywhere. Exact yeah. Tats everywhere. And so when you paint this picture of Taz, this quote unquote all American boy, that is very easily what a Nazi could be today. Oh, I'm sorry, an alt right member, man, whatever the fuck you want to call them. It's, it, they're Nazis, all right? 
Sorry if I'm offending any of our alt-right listeners out there. <laughs> we don't wow. want to drive anybody away, but, you know, that's no, no, what we I do. want to say about that. Actually, you know what we do? <laughs> Fuck off. Get out of here. We're not going to cater to you. Please don't associate with us. Mel, I was adamant before. Do not insult the alt-right. <laughs> we need, we, I'm going rogue, Justin. I don't like them. Mel kept saying that it's our bread and butter as those alt-right listeners out there. Oh, God. But in addition to the hook, as opposed to um, Shawshank, which was all written kind of like a first-person journal format by Red, this is not first-person. This, this, we get into the mindset of many different people, and there are actual chapter breaks in this one as well. I think there's 30 chapters, something like that, 200 well, pages. Well, yeah, with this one you need it. It's such a long yeah. story. It, it was nice It was nice, you know, to have the little built-in breaks. So then I could take like, a little <laughs> break and watch something for a couple minutes and then go back. Yeah, like, you know, turning on, like, My Little Pony or something to offset the you know, dread. <laughs> and it's split up by months, right? Or it says, like, the month and the year. Yeah, eventually it would, be, it would say that August 1974, mm-hmm. September 74, 75, whatever. Which is an well. interesting device because it gives you an idea, like, okay, this is going to go on for a while yeah. if we're using months at the outset. But then it also, by the middle to near end of it, I was like, where is this going to go? Like, yeah. we've we've been with them for a while. Like, something has to happen. And then there's happen. a bit yeah. of a time jump at the end where he's just about to graduate high school. I think they mm-hmm. kind of jump a couple years. Um, I but have, they've both been busy in that interim, as we learn later on. I have such a hard time with dates and when I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I, it's so hard for me to follow, like... Oh wait, what was the last date that they? You know, I know that time is jumping because if they start throwing a lot of dates at you. <laughs> you know, you spent a lot of time, and then I pick up on it. But I had such a hard time registering that right at the, at the beginning. I like almost never pay attention too much to it, except for the general like, oh, okay, is this era? I think but, it was easier for me because again, I've, I've read this a couple times. Actually, yeah. I should probably point. Oh, I didn't say where I was when I first read. Oh people. yeah, where were you? Ah, same thing. I, I, learned, I knew about the movie. I read the book. Um, anyway, <laughs> was the movie like down. that much of a splash? No, like, it, well, it wasn't. Well, the big thing for me. And a lot of people, I guess, is Brian Singer, his previous film was The Usual Suspects. Mm. And so everybody was waiting to see what he was going to follow up and do next. What and was, I'm sorry, when was Shawshank released? Is Shawshank was 94. Okay. No, it was a couple years before. It was like four years well, before. When this. No, this you, is 98. After I people, mean, Shawshank was four years okay, before after yeah. people, the, novel, the movie came out. When did you first read this, though? Oh, not until... I guess it was probably around the... Before I saw the movie. So but, I think it was probably 98, 97, oh, 98. Okay. You, when I first did you see read it in theaters? No, I saw okay. on video. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got from this tangent about Brian Singer. What were we talking about again? I've already lost the track. format. The, oh, the format. Yeah. Oh, oh, the years. The years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think if I hadn't read this a couple times before, it would have been a little more difficult, maybe to to see how much time had passed. But then I remember, I think he's thirteen when the book starts, right? And he's like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, he's a, he's nearing yeah. the nearing the end of high school. I don't think he's a senior in the in the book. But so we've been follow, we follow him for about three or four years essentially, mm-hmm. and that does make a huge oh. difference. I think if you get that time down, because as we'll learn later in the movie, I don't think the impact is felt as much as you can drive it home with this particular story. Ah, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll save that for hour four in our novella podcast today. I'm sure we'll get to <laughs> hour four. Uh, something else that gets brought up quite a lot in this in this novella before we move on to talking about the characters themselves is mm-hmm. the idea of your great interest. And they keep, mm-hmm. they, they'll bring it up occasionally in, in all caps. And it's something that Todd's teacher um, kind of informs them about, like, you know, you, you'll find your great interest one day and what is it going to be? And as we learn, Todd's great interest, of course, is 
uh, the Nazis in World War II and the Holocaust particularly. Let me ask you two a question. Oh, boy. Are you going to ask us what our great interest Mel, is? Mel, <laughs> what is your great interest? Um, I'd, I'd have to say it would be split between uh, investigating animals from a scientific and societal perspective and uh, creative writing, horror and uh, fantasy and sense. speculative fiction. Mac? I wish I had some really good ones, but um, <laughs> my great interest is probably um, anything to do with the history of Egypt. And Whoa. also, Indiana yeah, I was a big, you know, I was, I'm telling you, I want to be an archaeologist. <laughs> You're like, what's your passion? I'm going to make fun of no, it. I, no, no, I, just, no, 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 I, I wanted no. to be, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an archaeologist for that, you know, Indy, Indy introduced me into the adventurous world of, you know, archaeology, um, which I realize is not a, a real thing anymore. Uh, oh well, God, in terms of, yeah, no, 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 I'm saying in the adventure realm oh, of yeah, Indiana yeah, Jones, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know if that was where I'm not thing, going. And no. however, these days I probably could go off and fight Nazis for artifacts and things. Uh, now that I get points so for the fight. Um, but no, so yeah, anything about that. And then, um, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big star Wars head. Uh, <laughs> I'll never not be interested in star Wars. So, um, Lucas hooked me. What about music? Oh, you know, yeah. If I, third, <laughs> I'd say music. Um, sure. <laughs> I don't know. If that I mean, music more, I mean, I'm your more great interest doesn't get us. I'm sure. more interested yeah. in diving in. Oh, I mean, like I'm more interested in producing, uh, music and like the, the future of music as opposed to like digging into the history of music. You know what I mean? Like my, I guess I'm, I'm interested in it, but I'm interested in, in you not, uh, producing as in making, n- not music. researching like, it as in, yeah, as in producing as in making rather than researching it. And, and although I do listen to quite a lot of music, that yeah. would be number three, Mal. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and number four <laughs> Just would be the listeners to get to know you, Mac. <laughs> Justin, what's your great interest? Um, I'd say probably Egyptian art. No, I <laughs> Uh, my you. great, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's just become pop culture over the years. I, I feel like my other professions, I, I tend to, uh, let me pat myself on the back, excel, <laughs> but I don't have any passion, you know, with those, those, are, those always just have always felt like jobs to me. And so that's why I've been, you know, doing this as much as I can in my free time is just the podcast has been tremendous and then writing and re reading and researching essentially movies, books, TV, um, literature, as we tend to do on this podcast, when we don't go off on our tangents, <laughs> we try to dive deep. And also, of course, sports. So basically anything popular culture has always been fascinating to me. And I've always admired the people who excel, at least the good people that excel in those various fields. Um, that's my great interest. I'm a really exciting person, as you, as you can definitely tell. I like everything. This is born. his first date line. <laughs> yeah. I'm a very exciting person. That's my. That's like that'll be like me on the stand one day. <laughs> like, no, that's why I just, really just that's when he meets people. They, it's like, oh, uh, uh, you know, Becca. This is Justin. Justin Becca, and he says, "I'm an exciting person," and they just go, "Ah, oh, okay." It's a, it's always a great first line. <laughs> Trust me, I'm great. Oh wow, <laughs> goes really well. And they're like, "Tell me about your Egyptologist brother." Yeah. Well, Max been searching for the Shankara stones for quite a long time. Shankara, Shankara stones, and he's—that's uh, why I couldn't find it because I, w- I went by the wrong name. Um, actually, that was in 1934, uh, not 35. Uh. <laughs> no, 35, 36. 36 30, 35 was Temple of Doom. Let's get that. let us know your great interests. Let us know if your like, great interests include finding the Holy Grail, <laughs> like in the Last Crusade. You know, that's still out there. I, I, I would be down to search for that. Uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> You know, speaking of interesting people, 
speaking of the Nazis in the Last Crusade, let's talk about some Nazis in Apt Pupil. And in that case, let's uh, go on down to our zeros and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! Who do, who do we want to talk about first here? Do we want to start from the bottom up, or do we want to blow our... our our, our, or what, Matt? Our uh, pound cake load. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want to take the pound cake out of the oven? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, should, we, should we start with the big with the baddies? The book starts with Todd. It makes sense to start with Todd. Okay. I think we should start with Todd. Matt, you brought up something very interesting earlier about Todd, who was introduced as, this is serious, like the first paragraph of the story, an all-American kid, 13 years old, 5 feet 8, a healthy 140 pounds, hair the color of ripe corn, blue eyes, White, even teeth, lightly tanned skin, marred by not even the first shadow of adolescent acne. Um, not your typical, oh, this kid's absolutely going to become a Nazi later on in the book. Yeah. Or this, this is the type of kid but who would be fascinated he, with, with uh, fascism and, and the Holocaust. Does he have blue eyes? Is he kind of like, like the Aryan poster child to an uh, extent? Yeah, I guess you're right. Because I, I kind of like picked up on that when yeah. we were, and then I was like, oh, I mean, you know. But I also knew what it was about, so I was kind of looking for those things. But let's, um, let's start off with this because, again, Mac, you mentioned that you felt that this was if Todd had not stumbled upon his great interest that one day when he's looking at those magazines of the Holocaust and stuff like that. Yeah, you don't so think that he would have necessarily gone pa- down this path of becoming – you think he became uh, something. I, not, I think he already was this person. I don't necessarily think he became it, but I think that there's just – there's. he ha- already had the kind of persona where he was able to easily justify things to himself. Like – on page 147 of the, uh, what's it, Pocket, pocket Books? Um, exactly. Like Todd you don't talks know. about, I know, I'm glancing over like, oh, what is it? Oh, clearly it's Pocket Books. Uh, it says, uh, when he was reading these magazines about World War II, and they have all this, like, in the back of it, they have all this memorabilia mm-hmm. and Nazi paraphernalia. And, you know, he, he says, um, you know, they said it was bad. But it seemed like a lot of people m- must not mind because you have, you know, all these magazines about it and you have all these, like, paraphernalia things and you can get all these artifacts and these, uh, you know, like like you were saying, the New York Times has a link to the swastikas, the, you know, and stuff like that. And then he also, he refers to, I guess, finding your great interest, um, uh, like, falling in love. And I thought that that was really um, kind of creepy because... I would agree that's kind of creepy. People really kind of... Well, it's just because he, he's able to justify it as an interest at first, you know, and, and he's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay that I'm into all this stuff and I want to know all this stuff. It's not... He doesn't even see it as creepy at all. Or even later on, his father talks about how, well, I didn't want Todd to not be able to have, to have these plights and these things, so they just gave him everything he wanted. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a comment on like, well... You know, are his parents somehow, you know, responsible for the way that they brought him up, for giving him everything, for never like having him want for anything? You know, uh, I don't know, but no. I mean, I mean, I think that always has a little bit to do. But I think some people, like you said, Justin, are, are kind of inherently these people. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the book is presents him as pretty much a sociopath. Yeah, from the outset. But I do think it's interesting that. Interesting and, you know, terrifyingly relatable that part of it is that he senses censorship in materials that he is reading for education and he realizes that he's not getting the whole truth because the truth is too abominable for a child to know. And to any child, I think that's a siren call, right? That's you want to find out what really happened. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. I think when I was growing up, um, 
you know, just, I remember first reading about, you know, I think it was like the fifth grade, like the real story of Pocahontas, you know? And I think, I don't know if this is, I think this is after the, the Disney movie came out or whatever. But, you know, when you're a kid... You would have been... This is around the time the movie came out. Maybe yeah, that's why you're researching it. Maybe. But you're, when you're a kid and all you're exposed to are these, you know, these, you know, 10, 15 times removed from the original fairy tale, which most fairy tales are extremely dark and not happy. Um, you know, they're like, don't, you know, do this or you're going to have your toes chopped off, you know, kind of thing. I, I just think it's very interesting that when, when you start finding out that you don't know the whole truth... If you don't have avenues to pursue that in a healthy way or have parents or people that know the truth and, you know, enlighten you in a way that's like, okay, well, this is actually what really happened. Even though this might be hard to hear, this is what actually happened. And if you're just going and if you feel like you can't ask and reach out and you have to go through shady avenues or go through friends, friends, bureaus or whatever, or go through the magazines and the, and you can't actually talk to adults or talk to people about these things on a real level, I think that that already is breeding like this, I'm not supposed to know this, I'm going to go and do this thing I'm not supposed to do, when really all you're looking for is like the truth. So mm-hmm. I think that um, for a lot of people, and this is, <laughs> I'm not saying, well, you know, Todd's Todd was just normal or she shouldn't have done. No, I mean, like obviously the, the way he goes about this and, and then who he gets the information from and blackmails and all that stuff is, is terrible and, and like just super shady and awful. But I think that there should be a more of an open dialogue from the get go that they, people should not be. Um, totally. I mean, and I know at a certain age you need to be delicate about what you're telling your kids because you, you you know you want to you want they you know you want them to believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy for as long as you can, but I also feel like that age is a lot younger than people I think realize, and I think that there are certain things that they should probably start to being truthful about earlier on. Than they, I didn't see. They know. I, I'm not getting any sense that he was being held back from finding any of the, any of this material. Oh no, I'm just talking about people in general. Like, oh, no, like okay, my, my own experience yeah, growing yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, because he, with Todd, I mean, Todd, he even writes no, a book he about knows. this. Oh, not a book. He writes a book. He wants, he wants like the photographs though that, that are thing, not available that's, to him. And that's the thing about that too, Mel, is that those photographs would not just be published in a random magazine. You have to, you'd have to go search deep for that type of... Exactly. Well, this is why exactly. it scares me as a horror fan, though, because I, I can totally relate to his desire to see the, the gushy parts. Yeah. That's because cool. that's kind of why we watch horror movies a lot of the time, is you want to know how far are they going to go, how much are they going to show me, how close to the primal grossness of human nature am I going to get. Yeah. And How am I going to react yeah. to it? And yeah. That's that's relatable and well, yeah. not not specifically for me in like the Holocaust no, sense, I, but like. <laughs> um, well, no, it's it's for it's yeah, it's I think it's it's kind of frightening because you always you, you know you want to know you, you like there's you know they they leave things out or they say well this isn't even half as bad as it as it got so then you're just naturally like well well how bad did it get and people might say something but then part of you is like you know like how do you know is there a picture of this is there something like the, the real true and don't, and, and, and guys, i'm not just talking about the holocaust i just mean like any atrocity out there you know like serial killers and stuff like that and um and it's it, you know obviously it speaks volumes to, to like who you are as a person. Like, can you handle that stuff? Or, or, or yeah, I'm not saying they should be in like textbooks necessarily because some people just cannot see that stuff and unsee it at all. Yeah. I don't think you can ever unsee that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a Holocaust museum in um, London when I was over there in July, and I had such a visceral like breakdown at one point. Uh, and 
you know, I just, I was walking through and I found myself like rushing through the first part of it because mm. I was just like, I don't know. I was just, I just, I had, to, I just felt like I couldn't be in there. I was like, I have to get out of here. This is like, it was really, cause it was really That's valuable intense. though. And I was talking oh, to yeah. my boyfriend who I watched the movie with earlier about how my, at, and I'm Jewish. I was bat mitzvahed. I'm raised Jewish. My Holocaust education was not very good. Mm. It was definitely the figure six million thrown at my face without a yeah. lot of, I don't know, like a lot of human element in there. And the only thing that I remember really affecting me is the picture of all those shoes that, that gets passed around. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's important to have, to have that reaction. I wish I'd been yeah, taken to a Holocaust no. museum. I, and, you know, again, like, yeah, Mel, Mac and I are father's side of the family's predominantly Jewish going all the way back. Um, so yeah, we, there's a, we can get into the, in terms of all how that, how we react a little differently to that too. Um, but for me, I guess growing up in terms of finding out about a lot of these things and realizing the true impact that goes beyond the number you were talking about, Mel is being young enough, but being allowed to watch Schindler's list at a young age, because as intense as that movie is, um, I do think it's a good educational tool in the way to show, I mean, obviously it's a Hollywood film, but you do get a sense of more about what was going on, I guess. In terms of, like, the next step that you can get from, like, a fifth grade or sixth grade education, you see the children. You see the people in the showers. And you see just the people getting shot, people getting lined up and shot and thrown into smokes and the smokestacks and the chambers and everything else. And so then from there, I just – from there, I can't remember how I really learned about everything over time. I guess I did have good teachers growing up. I had AP history in high school, mm-hmm. so you, I think I, I feel I mean, like I I'm learned. not envious of educators who have to who have to walk this line. It's no, so it's hard because what do you show and what don't? Especially nowadays, well, like what do you I mean, show without going over the line? Yeah, especially because when you, I mean, King uses it in this in this short story on the novella as well is not just the experiment, not just the experiments, but you get into like the sexual experimentations mm-hmm. that were going on, which is a whole other level of just depravity and and sickness that was just permeating throughout that time. And that's and that's the huge thing too. Because I, I remember when I was in school, we had to have a permission slip to watch Schindler's List yeah. and some of these movies that you know had maybe some nudity or whatever was in it. That even though it was you know obviously a historical film to an extent, you know, it wasn't um, sexualized. But yeah, yeah, and you know there were people that didn't watch it. There were people, there were parents that didn't want their kids to watch that. And, and I understand. And, and that. I understand. I can understand that. But don't you think those kids ended up just? Just needing to watch Schindler's List after that, well, though, like no, no, that's no, no. why that's that, the danger. Like, that is nothing too, and that's, that's again, that's what I go you know? back to when you start forbidding things that you know. I mean, if you think your kid's not ready to watch a film like that, that's fine. But like, there should be an age at which they are, or you allow them to start investigating these things or seeing these, not necessarily just movies, but just like you know, knowing the full truth. But um, and and I would say I would condition it to a lot of like, there's a lot of religions that just this is it and this is how it is and all this is you know bullshit lies whatever and and you really have to have your let your kids go out and explore those things for themselves you know like i feel like nine times out of ten you know a lot of people like these amish families or stuff like that they let their kids go out for a year or however long it is and then they experience life you know nine times out of ten those those kids come home because they're just so used to the way things you know what i mean it's almost if it's not conditioned to a certain point yeah but so it's like i don't think that's a bad thing. I know that when I went out and I started, you know, exploring the world or religions and things, you know, I definitely grew a lot as a human being. But yeah, with the, in terms of the Holocaust, I I don't remember how exactly I learned so much. And I think it was just again. I think I had some good teachers too, Justin. Yeah. I don't think that it wasn't any one thing. I think I read a lot of things like Night and. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, 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 it's Eli um, Weissel, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, was it Number of the Stars? Is is that the, mm. that that 
that novel That's about the, the crystal knock. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, great story. And like, uh, it, but yeah, I just, I, I wasn't like, you know, enamored with, but I was really into history when I was younger. And, and I think, um, it's interesting to see like how we research it and react to it, which is obviously like a very like empathetic and like crazy, like, oh, like fearful and, and the horror of it. Whereas Todd's just like really interested. Yeah, but well, I do think beyond interested. as and horror he, yeah. fans who pursue grisly things, this is always a line I'm interested in. Yeah, because yeah. I'm not someone who goes on Reddit and looks at the terrible subreddits that are like literal gifts of people dying. Like, that's that's no, I my line. Yeah. I can't. I can't do it because yeah, there's like the dark web out there yeah. too, and there's also like live <laughs> leaks and stuff like that. I, I don't uh, open those those texts or emails from people. Right, but I, I am, and we are people who are like. Oh man, what's what's gonna be in Hostel? Like I hear this movie is like really gross. That's what's gonna happen. That's a great people point. People are gonna get tortured. And I think there's a big. I think there's ultimately a line between the people like us that will be able to watch slasher films or something and get enjoyment out of that, but literally could not watch the same thing happen to in real in reality. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's I think that's the but big line. I do, you know, and I don't want to be an apologist here. I do think there are some people that watch those gifts of of terrible, terrible, real things as a way of being like, you know, I need to purge some sort of this curiosity, and like it, it mm. is it is affecting me. Like I'm not just like doing this because I'm a murderer. Yeah. I'm doing this because <laughs> the curiosity is is it's worse living with that than just like traumatizing myself real quick with this gif, and now I know what it is, and like, ugh. Yeah, but there are other people for whom obviously that is not the case. I don't want to say it like romanticizes it, but it, it, it makes you like we were saying when you when you when you're saying don't watch this, you want to watch it more. It's like, you yeah, know, it's, with anything, yeah, it's the taboo of it. So, so I thought um, that was handled really well. To go back to Todd, like yeah, I think no. I think I you know it, it sort of really scared me on a personal level to be like I can I can almost relate to this. Like he just feels like things are being hidden from him, and he wants to see the extent of the atrocities. And this kind of boils back down into the Todd and, and Dustin, well, their ultimate acts in this particular story is, again, I'm, I'm kind of one of these people. I'm not alone. One of the most popular, one of the more popular podcasts um, out there are the histories of, like, serial killers. And I think there's something, yeah, I do. I, there's something <laughs> very fascinating about these people. I don't like these people. I'm not proving what they did. We were just talking about Mindhunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Mindhunter is just very, and, and I, by the way, small tangent, I had not realized that. Those were actual serial killers. You didn't realize this was like based on non-fictional. No. Well, yeah. I knew I knew it was based on the the book by the, the, these two former agents, but the names were different in the in the series. So I figured that everybody was going to be different, and these serial killers were going to be based on other oh, serial no. killers. They but real. Oh no, they Ed Kemper was real. And also, then, he narrated audiobooks. Apparently, oh my you God. can have audiobooks Ooh, wow. narrated by Ed Kemper. I wonder if you did any Stephen King ones. That's fantastic. I, th- I will say, <laughs> he did see the, while the body. we're on this small tangent, I thought that the guy that played Ed Kemper was oh, just really amazing. Good. Tremendous. Yeah. I'm like, well, well, we should definitely talk about that. We'll, we'll um, somehow associate that with Stephen King. Romanticizing serial killers weeks. is also a hugely interesting subject. Yeah. But yes. let's talk about romanticizing Nazis. I know. <laughs> Speaking of romanticizing Nazis, um, Mac, what do you think about Todd? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I was going to say, um, again, this whole, uh, the, page 177, Todd likens Dusender as, as to like, the waking up the brooms and the sorcerer's apprentice, mm. which is, I mean, it, it's, it, well, obviously that's kind of very, very parallel to what happens in, in this story where, you know, he wakens this beast and then he loses control of him um, and loses control of himself as well. And that's, sorry, that's from Todd's point of view in the yeah. story? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um, but the fact that he, 
that's what he likens it to is like, okay, he's, he's watching cartoons still. He's watching Fantasia and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still very much a young person. So it's just. See, I think he's wrong there though, because what he's saying is, is that these were just inanimate, non-sentient brooms. And then Dusner came around and, and brought them to life. I feel like no, no. Dusender is the brooms. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's the brooms. He's, he's the force he, that he, he brought. Oh, I thought he, he was the magician he, that brought the brooms. Todd, no, Todd. Feels, my analogy correct. No, no, no. Todd the feels like the magician is Nazism. The magician is the fa- is the Nazis. Todd feels like he's the apprentice. He's Mickey, and he brings the brooms to life, but then loses control of them. Okay, that's that's yeah. fair. That's a fair. Um, that's fair. Todd. You're wise beyond your years, you little sociopath. He, well, he is. He's smart. He's smart for his age. And he's yeah. creepy because he thinks things through in a way that no child should. He's very conniving. He wants to be a detective when he grows up. And yeah. he's already Oof. practicing those skills. He does some creepy shit when he's stalking Dusander to prove his identity. Um, I think King does a really good job. I love when you feel like a character is on top of things because they feel like they're on top of things. Yeah. And then that gets reversed pretty quickly. It goes back and forth. Um, it goes back yes. and forth. And Todd is like still a child, but at least starts as a pretty worthy, I mean, adversary, but he, he's he's smart. He's like not to be trifled yeah. with. And Deucin just says that a bunch. You know, he, he knows he's, he's, he's smart. Yeah. And the other question about Todd is like, what like level of, so, I, I love this character. I, I still find his character fascinating to read as many times as I've read the story because he's a sociopath, right? But however, so he's constantly being afraid though of being found out, such as when, you know, Ducinder threatens him, says he's got the letter in the safety deposit box and everything. So I'm just fascinated by this character. Is he afraid of being caught because he feels bad about what he's done or is he just afraid of what people will think about him? Yeah, I think he's got I think it's the latter, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's used to being exceptional. Yeah. He's the all star sports guy, he's a golden child at school with his grades. He cannot be anything other than like all American Exactly. Boy the, who's beloved. But, but even, even the Gilby <laughs> being found guilty, not because of what he, he's done. You know? Yeah, and then when he gets so invested in, in Ducinder and these stories and his grades drop, like it like he's just like, I'll oh, forget it, I can't do it. Like he's still concerned, but he's more concerned about keeping yeah. the secret. This makes him very different from our alt-right listeners yeah. <laughs> who are, you know, they, they prize there. being edgy. They prize yeah. n- people knowing yeah. that like they have these horrible. But then we're also looking at it through like today's lens, you know, like when this was written and the time period and this, this is supposed to take place, you know, this neo-Nazis was, this was weren't saying, prevalent yeah, was and, in, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you didn't have like, you know, people coming out and saying, oh, you know, and like defending neo-Nazis and their rights and stuff. Like right. it's kind of yeah. crazy. If you threw them in, in, the, in the 70s, if you threw them in the lineup with your stereotypical 70s Nazis or KKK people, you right. would not pick out Todd, Todd Bowden as to be yeah. the, well, the I'm, guy. I'm interested in his sociopathic status because we never get an explanation for it. And no. this is a deep flaw of the book, I think, in that it doesn't address that in any way, and it also doesn't address Nazism in any deeper way than calling it an innate evil, but we'll get to that. Um, we'll, we'll begin to that little, a little later on. I, I just am like, I mean, he's a cool sociopath in that he's a great character when, when he's already there, but we, we get nothing other than he's fascinated by the Holocaust. We get nothing before then. Yeah. No, no. I mean, he's. He, they say he's never been abused. He's never wanted for anything, which makes it creepier. Don't well, think that was my on. argument earlier. Where I, I think he's just. He was always this way. Like I don't even. Th- I think if something else had come along, he still would have done this a similar behavior. Don't they go into a little bit of his history, just like rattling off like his relationship past? Up you talking about time? Yeah. And like, like the, in, in terms of like the girls he's been with, because he he's not like a virgin, right? Well, no, he, is, he's like he loses old, his no. virginity to. 
Betsy Trask. Yeah. Right. But that, is that after we already, is that yeah, when we meet him? Yeah, that's during Or is that before Well, the movie's confusing. The movie takes place in a year. This takes place over several years. He yeah. has not, not, he has done anything with any girls yet at this point. He's too young. He's 13. That's right. Not that I'm telling anybody no, out no, there. No, you're right. too young, by the way. I'm just saying he's definitely, this, that's later on in the, in the book. And then the like, uh, it's, yeah, he's also, he's just really interesting. It's like page 180. He says, um, maybe that's my best. And then her voice spoke up suddenly. Uh, or maybe that's the best. Maybe you, maybe you even even didn't. <clears throat> sorry, maybe you even did on purpose because a part of you wants it to end, needs for it to end, before something bad happens. He ha- he knows what he's doing is bad, and he knows it's gotten to a point that he can no that he really can no longer do this without it spiraling out of control. But sorry, Todd, it's already spiraled well, out of control. Well, it's also never, it's never <laughs> empathy. It's, it's never it's like I'm hurting crazy. people. I'm like thinking of things that are terrible to other people. I think it's interesting that yeah. he doesn't have any siblings because well, yeah. that would require him to have some sort of interaction and empathy. He has no friend. In the book, he like doesn't talk to anyone mm. at his high school. No. Um, he has no friends, really. He just plays sports. And I don't know, like he's he's a creepy child, but I just want more of that interiority before any of this stuff happens like is it just that he's so sheltered is it is it like mac was saying like they kept him from everything while he was growing up and made sure he wanted for nothing and so he's looking to other avenues and i can see where you're coming from because they do they 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 over explain a lot in the last like 20 pages of this i feel and you could have maybe spent a little time like you said like going back and maybe a little bit of history i guess of his childhood well and i'm fine too if, if he really wants to imply that it's this like Innate. monstrous innate yeah. evil but to do that with nazism i think is lazy and yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that but i don't know i don't know we'll we'll get to that. we'll get to that and there's some other things about todd and in, in the way that king writes todd i found interesting these little there'll be these little sides such as um todd's an extremely apt pupil which is mentioned a couple times in the book if you, if you didn't it's notice the title of the book it's the title um, he was too straight A's and B's all the way up and down the line. If he'd done any better, straight A's, for example, his friends might have begun to think he was weird. So even in that regard, he just wants to do really well but not stand out too much, which is a weird thing. Uh, later on, there's a moment where um, – where was I going to go here? Oh, when he's being complimented by his mother on reading to Dusender, uh, it's written, uh, Todd casts his eyes down modestly, responding to Todd Baby with Monica Baby. He's described as responding – amiably enough so i feel like everything he does and every reaction he has even if it's minor like this there's always a calculation yeah. behind it although i will say i do feel like there's a point of no return for todd mm-hmm. where i maybe he would have been salvageable but i think once he starts equating um sexual arousal with violence once yeah. he like starts having wet dreams about being incredibly violent uh, it's it's like that's he, he, that he gets having more and more fantasies and that's kind of just the end yeah, and that's when he becomes when his inner monologue becomes much more violent because even here it's just kind of like the controlled smiling and the responses, and then later on he just starts fantasizing about just killing his parents when they just make a nice. That is what did comment, it for me. You know? Like that no, did it for me. That's what Wait, scared you, me. You, that, you no, that's what scared like? me the most was he's just like his mom's talking to him and he's just like you know like I just want to like blow your head off right now and yeah. just like picturing what that would be like and and you're just like okay this is this yeah. guy's. But this this guy's really messed up. That the 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 equating sexual arousal with violence rings very true to like criminal profiling. Mm. Like that's just like sometimes what serial killers have that like mix up of junctions in their brains. 
And so that, to me, felt very, like, real and made it all the more disappointing that I was like, so how did we get here? Like, Well, you know, and it's yeah. funny because, like, watching, even watching Mindhunter, I keep bringing up Mindhunter, yeah. big fans it's, of Mindhunter. It's really relevant. But watching Mindhunter, I was thinking, like, I was, I was, I had just finished that when I probably, or just in the middle of reading this when I was watching Mindhunter, and I thought, so when I met Todd in the book, because I'd already seen the film, but when I was reading the book, I was trying to look at it from the point of view of, okay, he's trying to understand these killers, and seeing from a criminal uh, uh, profile perspective, but it's from the get go, it is not the same as trying to learn and look at it from a outside point of view to understand this killer. He, there is there's an interest there that's just not healthy, mm-hmm. like right out the right out the gate. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, you could look at any, any criminal profile of serial killers and things and be like, oh, they're sick, they're messed up in the head, they want to look at all this stuff, they want to dive into these things. But, like, you know, these people are catching these people. This is not the same. I mean, he 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 kind of, like, he wants to know how it felt and, like, in a, in a way that's perverse, you know? I'll say um, when I think of Todd when I was reading this, especially as a 13-year-old Todd, I always think about the animated kid from uh, Creepshow 2, which is Stephen King. The anime version oh, of the God. the kid who like gets the Venus flytrap. That's I keep picturing him as that kid that, that that blonde hair, but yeah, he's evil actually deep down. That's my t- and then of course Brad Renfro when he's uh, seventeen years old. Sure, <laughs> we'll talk about that later on in the podcast. I think I would really like the angle of like he's wanted for nothing. He's so bored. He gets everything he wants. He's excelling in school and in sports. And all of a sudden, this terrible piece of history surfaces, and he realizes that there is this underbelly to human existence that he's never known about. And I think I think that's interesting, and I would have liked more of it. See, I, I see where you're coming from with that, but my take is this kid already seemed like such a, like a monster when he shows up on this Nazi's front step right. and just is just does when when Dussender is disturbed by this kid that's when you know that there's something really off about the kid and the kid's so smart you know he's blackmailing right off the bat and he's lying about the blackmail but he's, he knows he can get right. away with it he's but he's very, never tortured animals before but he this. hasn't done that at least that we, that we yeah I guess as far as we know we had not done that at that point right yeah um mm. so yeah I guess for me I wasn't I was okay with the description of Todd I feel like if it was a longer story Perhaps I would have needed some more, but just because it was kind of a turning of the page, you know, they would go month by month. Mm-hmm. I just felt like we were starting here and we were going to go um, forward until it all comes crashing down. Yeah. But we can, we can talk about it now, Mel, if you want to talk about it now too. What? Like about the more of the issues you had with, um, with Todd in the novella and not in terms of character building. What, what problems you have with him and the well, Nazi. No, I think, I think that's all I have. I mean, yeah. I, I really also would have, would like the approach of like, Hey, all, all 13 year olds are sociopaths. Like, they really are. And, like, so. I don't know what you're talking about. No. So, uh, I, I feel like we do get a little bit of Todd panicking later that rings true to, like, he's a child out of his depth, mm. even though he's a very precocious child. And that stuff is really scary and interesting to me when he's like, oh shit, like, I've really gone too far and I am not old enough to, like, even comprehend what I'm doing or what I've done or how I've messed up my life. So that stuff is is really great to me. Um, I guess, yeah, maybe maybe he's just too smart and he's too creepy, and I want him to be either more explained or more vulnerable mm. at certain points. But my biggest problem um, is not with Todd; it's with Dusender. So I don't. Oh, well, Todd is Todd is. We're like, gonna get to, to Dusender yeah. in just a second, but there's also one more thing going back to what you're saying about the um, the point of no return and how he really realizes he's in a real uh, pickle to use uh, to use that phrase, which I guess works. 
Um, he, later on in the book, I think this is after, after Dusender tells him that he's also blackmailing him now. Mm-hmm. He's got all the information in the way. Toss says, um, I hate you, he whispered. And then Dusender began to choke on his own laughter. His face turned a dull brick color. It sounded as if it were coughing, laughing, and strangling all at the same time. Todd, scared, got up quickly and clapped him on the back until the coughing fit had passed. So this is the one person on earth that he wants dead more than anything else, but he feels compelled to keep him alive. And that, I'm sure, was driving but him But isn't that crazier. because he knows that that letter's out there? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he, did, yeah. he would love for him to be dead, but he, can't, he cannot die, you know, because he'll be found out, or Eesh. so he thinks. But... I think we've spent a lot of time on our good friend, the wonderful Well, Todd. we're going to keep talking about Todd um, for sure, I'm sure. But we'll be talking about a little bit more. But let's focus more on now on uh, Kurt Dussender, a.k.a. Arthur Dinker. Who wants to kick this off? Mel, you should kick this off, actually. Okay. Yeah, sure. let's hear. What, what's, so, uh, what's the issue? My he's, issue? He's only a Nazi. Ugh. Sure. He's a Nazi. <laughs> nice guy. Um, we, I think my issue is that Nazism is characterized as this outside force of hate and evil that can inhabit a person that can be awoken and yeah. start to do its its want yeah. um, rather than a complicated, nuanced part of a human that has committed terrible crimes. And I think that's that's like lazy. It's making something monstrous in an external way when it needs to be dealt with in an internal way. You think it's being used more as a plot device as opposed to kind of even just a, a minor study on what would happen if... To, to a Nazi later on in life, that type of thing. I, right? I guess, and we never really get an honest take of Dusanders on what he's done. Like, we get that he's annoyed that Todd shows up, and we get that he doesn't want to talk about this stuff. Hmm. And I think it's implied that he doesn't want to talk about it, not because he feels super guilty, yeah. but just because it's it's done and he did what he was supposed to do, and, like, maybe he enjoyed it, which is, gets kind of reawoken later. But I... I just feel like if you characterize Nazism as this monstrous, innate evil, kind of like how Todd is characterized as this yeah. weird, innate evil, you're not giving it the time and and credit that it deserves as a as a terrible thing that happened in our history. I think Dusender just needs a, a like way more, like even just an acknowledgement of like, oh my god, like did I enjoy this? Like, what's wrong with me? And like. Well, that's that's a very good point because that leads me to the big question I have is this is the summer of corruption, right? So in the story, though, who 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 truly corrupts who? Because like you said, Mel, if no if, one if, corrupts if, anyone, if it's just that, that's, there, well, that's like. the thing. But so you feel like, well, it, it is like Max Kevlar kind of this earlier too. Is is Dusender the one that is truly corrupting Todd to become who he's actually going to become? Does Dusender do all these things later on because Todd arrives again and forces him to bring all this stuff out? Like I, I, that's the back and forth that um, I, I actually do enjoy this back and forth. This isn't this this yeah. part of this is not criticism, but I do see where you're coming from, Mel. Where as opposed to just having him maybe be just an evil person in general and having nothing to do with Nazism, and then just having Todd be an evil person in general, I think it still would have worked. Like if he found out he was a killer at an earlier age or something like that, and then he stopped killing for years and years and years, and then he discovers him. They come out, and then all the stuff happens. I think that's a little, little better because obviously, when you're dealing with the Holocaust, you know anything with World War II, it's sensitive material. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I didn't think of it that way, Mel. But I, I do see where you're coming from. With it's that. almost like a werewolf thing. Like yeah, it's so yeah, yeah. externalized. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's, there's, there's so this, it's, it's plot device. There's the huge parallel between the two of them, where you have Danker, who or Dusender, excuse me. Um, who (laughs) both, uh, where he's kind of like this dormant volcano Mm -hmm. and then is re is reawoken 
and slowly realizes, and, and this is the weird thing. It's like, how did you go dormant? Because if now the only way that you can quiet the beast is to actually kill and do these horrible acts, like, and you know, I mean, he starts with the cats and then he moves on to the, the homeless people. Whereas like how, like how it was, it just sheer fright of being caught that yeah. made him go dormant. And then, which obviously I think is the case, but with Todd, um, I mean, I guess that he does hurt animals first, right? Doesn't he? Or One does he just I go straight to stabbing the homeless people? I can't remember. He runs over the blue jay with its beak slowly opening. And That's closing. right. One thing I was curious about, though, is does Doosander start again with the cats after Todd, or has he been killing? No, cats it was, it was this not until after. It's not until okay. after. I don't think it's until after because he starts. He starts having the dreams, and 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 I'm, I don't think there's any way that this guy was not having these dreams before, but they. He starts to realize in order to curb the dreams or to get sleep, and maybe it's just because you know well, the, I can, the constant I think I threat of, of Todd's out there but that he has to start enacting and doing these things, which is also really horrible. Well, I and think scary. the thing is with him, he, so obviously he's a man of great power in the forties, right? He's mm-hmm. running these camps, and he's just he's pretty much God. You know, he's able to manipulate. And people we do and get the impression and, that he likes being good at it. Oh yeah, he's into interrogating he, people. He's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, he, he's good at it. That's even more disturbing. And then he's obviously on the run for the next 30 years of his life. He's no longer in power. He's, he's nothing. He's, just, he's a kind of a shell of a man now at this point. Not that he was ever a great man, but now he's essentially nothing. He's in hiding. And so I think what, what Todd has done is reminded him of how powerful he once was. And that's why he kind of goes on this rampage. And that's why I think the dreams do get worse because obviously the memories are coming back to him and he's still not having any power. He, he hasn't had any power for the last 30 years and I was figured out a way to maybe regain that power and that's when he starts to, you know, to kill, to regain that sense of power. There's a whole masculinity thing we can get in here too if you, oh, if sure. you really want to. You know? I mean, it's I think, definitely there. I think too the danger of making Nazism this sort of monstrous thing that's almost separate is that and again, this is, I have to give my boyfriend credit for bringing this stuff up. Um, it was characterized at the time as like, oh, this like totally aberrant sprung up out of nowhere in the midst of modernity thing, like just some sort of crazy magical monster that came up and like to characterize it that way is really harmful. Hmm. It's not like, you know, they were the first people to think like this and it's not like it came from nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so even on the level of the individual, I just don't like that treatment of it. Yeah, I see. I see. I see where you're coming from with that. I, I do. I don't know if I. I don't think it was necessarily King's intention to uh, diminish. Um, nah, everyone's just like Nazis are evil. I'm gonna write about it. Yeah, he's like, that's it. And then and there was no hatred before World War II. <laughs> this just came up because Hitler was looking for a reason to you know to, to talk about why things were going so bad. Um, but that's that does give this whole thing a different a different slant, obviously. So. Yeah, that's uh, is a real piece of work, and King's a real piece of work. Yeah, <laughs> because I, I thought it was interesting too, because we don't really get a lot of um, Dusender pre-Nazi. Like, we don't know how he, you know, became this, you know, this Nazi leading the camp. Mm. Right? They don't really go. On, well, because part of me was like, all right, well, was Dusender just this normal guy? And then when he when he got into this, and then they started laying out these laws and these restrictions and these things, and he got the orders. Is it one of those Nazis that's like, well, I was just following orders? I Which think, obviously we find out is not. I the case. think you but, can pretty much take because he, as Arthur Dinkery always tells that story about who he was in World War II and how he rose up and then you know left and everything else. So basically, take that story and do the exact opposite. 
So I do think he was he fed into the whole Jews are evil thing, and I think he enjoyed yeah. doing everything. I think he rose up the ranks and was happy to do it. I don't think there was any innocence that was going on there with that, with that character. That's where I stand on Dissender. No, personally. yeah, and, and and I think this, I think the same as that thing. I just like I was just I found it interesting that he didn't really go into that, and I think that's also probably why he didn't go into it because Dissender doesn't try to like he doesn't try to uh, curb Todd's attention uh, attention to this by saying like that's not who I am. You know, that's, you know, I was a good person and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He never even tries right. that line of thinking. Once he's found out, he just, he, says, How'd you find he, me out? he's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it because there are these horrible, awful things. I mean, he kind of goes that route for like five minutes. So that, so you kind of know as a reader right out the gate, well, he's not even trying to pretend like he wasn't this person mm. like on a level, on a human level. He's just trying to, to ignore the whole subject altogether, which means, you know, not only did he enjoy these things, but he he is this awful person that everybody remembers him as. But um, what's weird is we never actually get any targeted anti-Semitic thoughts from Dusender. We get that he really liked the acts that he committed. We get that he's scared of being found out. The dreams are are like his victims haunting him. But we never get like any thoughts on like the superior race. We never get any like yeah. musings on the whole dogma of Nazism. The, the worst we get is from Todd later yeah. when he talks about um, Betsy Trask possibly having Jewish roots. Right. And that seems a little bit like maybe Dusinder rubbed off on him. But we, we kind of only get this aftermath, and that's another weird thing to me too. Like where where is that stuff? It seems like maybe Dusinder does throw around a couple um, German Jewish slang um, when referencing a couple people. I think he was referencing French at one point. Okay. I think he does. But like you said, it's not deeply explored by any means. And, and is that is that King just trying to say, like, well, this is just a monster. Yeah. Like, he would have always I been a monster outside of the Nazi. The Nazi movement just kind of helped him become who he always was. For sure. And uh, in a justifiable way, you know, via the Nazis. And, you know, and I, yeah, so I think that that's why also the same thing with Todd. That Todd was probably, and like Justin, this supports your theory that Todd was just always kind of like this monster waiting to happen mm. um, or waiting to come to um, fruition or whatever. Um, and maybe Dusseldorf always was too, um, but, you know, using the Holocaust, I guess. Yeah, it's like the right, right. opportunity for him. Yeah. And that's that to me is like, it's very scary, yeah. but also just like, why did you have to use Nazism? There's so much yeah. there. Like, yeah. you yeah. could really but tap into way more. But I think that's why Todd's the main character here, and we, where we see there isn't really, there's not a war, there's not a, anything going on right now for Todd to, for this to happen. Yeah, this he, takes place just after Vietnam, I guess, right? In but he seeks it out. He finds a way to, yeah. to, to like, quench that, that, that thirst in him of, of, being this like innate evil, I guess um, he seeks it out. Whereas Dusender didn't. You know, he was he was in that situation, and he, maybe he did. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he like joined up right, immediately <laughs> when he heard the war was on. Um, yeah, Dusender's pretty scary. They're both scary as hell. I had yeah, a hard time reading yeah. this whole thing. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, wasn't, okay. I wasn't like, oh, can't wait to take the train home and read. I was just like, oh god, I got to read another like killing bums. twenty pages. Um, of this nightmare. What do you think? So, I'm not talking about obviously. Listen, if you if you if you talk about his deeds in <laughs> during the Holocaust, Dustner wins this by a landslide. But who is the more evil of the two characters at the end? Who do you think is the more evil? It's Todd or is it Dustner? I. I don't know if I can even. Right? They're both but so it should, evil. you think it would be easier, but I, I don't know. I don't know who the more evil is. 
in terms of, you know... I think they're just both cast as irredeemable, which, again, makes the theme of corruption so interesting to me because, like, there was there was little there to corrupt. They but were I just, think right. but when it starts, you think there is corruption happening. I think that was mm-hmm. what was... You think that this Nazi is going to corrupt the kid... And then you discover, well, maybe the kid's corrupting the Nazi. And then you discover, oh, no, these people are always awful. (laughs) If they talk to anybody else, they corrupt them. But um, so that's why I like the theme of corruption and what turns out to not essentially be corruption at all, that these two people are so similar and just different generations, essentially, you know. And it goes back to the Weisskopf description of, you know, evil is going to look like whatever evil is going to look like, you know, down the line. Yeah, that's like the big fake out. Yeah, but I mean, well, we'll keep talking about these two characters, obviously, because they are the main characters of the book. But do we want to talk a little bit about? Let's talk about Robert Ed next, I guess. If we want to talk about sure. the next yeah. next major character, um, I got it written down here. This is written in the book. Ed French, aka Pucker French, aka Sneaker Pete, and the Kedman, also aka Robert Ed French, aka Daddy Fatsax, aka Lucius Leftfoot, aka Billy Ocean, aka Francis the Savannah Chillin' Pimp, Dungeon Family First Generation, here to keep the E and Ed still cooler than the polar bear's toenails. Not all that's in the book. That's an outcast reference for everybody out there. Thanks, Justin. Um, I will be leaving now. (laughs) I just want to make sure I made that hilarious joke in the middle of our discussion of the Holocaust for the last hour and a half. Um, Yeah, so Ed is the guy, I guess he's the guidance counselor, right, who is truly concerned about Todd, who's who's been a very good student up until the point he starts to have discussions and lessons from from Dustinder. So what do we th- we're not gonna, we're not going to talk about movie version Ed French just yet. We'll definitely talk about him later on. But I, I feel um, well, obviously I feel kind of bad for Ed French, <laughs> especially when the story ends. Yeah. But what do you think about the sequence of uh, the major part? I guess where Dusender impersonates. I'm sorry, Dinker impersonates um, Todd's grandfather and goes to talk to Ed. Well, when Nandaplum Dinker comes in and. Uh, it's interesting when he talks about uh, the parents having, what was it, the mother having a drinking problem? Yeah, the mother. Yeah. Uh, Robert Ed, like in his mind, starts thinking, well, I've seen worse. And he kind of rattles off some stuff like heroin addiction, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff like, like uh, uh, abuse and uh, pretty bad stuff. Uh, and it's so it's like, how. He's dealt with all these things, but somehow he, he's, Dusinder's that good to, to pull the wool over his eyes. To, you know to, that uh, you know I do feel bad for Ed because he's just he he wants to get to the bottom of it and he tries really hard and then uh, and I don't know what he was thinking when he went over that at the end but um, well I think Dustin yeah. we, we it's proven earlier on that um, he's a master manipulator he's a right, master right. inquisitor and and I I liked being able to see that because it it was just like man he's really good so like, if he's he, able to he, fool he, the government yeah it's, you know? it's 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 frightening yeah. he was yeah. able to totally. You know, disarm this guy who his job is to see this stuff and to get to it early. I mean, his primary goal is to help the kid, right? And if they can feel like they're on the same side with that mutual goal, Ed's fine with it. And I feel, I really feel bad for Ed, like you were saying. Like, and I I love the the archetype that has endured the test of time of the like nebbish guidance counselor, like wearing kids, will always be there. Like, it's still a thing now. Um, Would the modern day equivalent of that be like somebody with, um, like the the nice glasses, um, Converse All Stars probably be the Maybe. new thing now. Yeah. Tweed jacket would still be. In it style. would be like the Warby the, Parker the, models. He's got like, the a, Warby he's got like a fidget glasses. spinner, a box of fidget oh, spinners God. in his room. Uh, handlebar um, mustache. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I and I think it's also. I mean, as I said, that archetype has stood the test of time. There are things in here like how Ed 
calls up his actual grandfather that is like so not a thing that happens today like he's just like I'm I would town. even say yeah. who do I, I would, know in this let, town let me go so far as to say that's a thing that's <laughs> ever happened that, 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 there's my problem with with uh, some what happens in this in this book is um in those last few pages it's there's a very simple way for Ed to find out that that Dinker um, is not Todd's grandfather and that, that's actually done pretty good in the movie that makes mm-hmm. more sense to me I just didn't buy that like two or three years later <laughs> this guy would be in a hotel room and he would happen to remember a conversation he had with somebody's grandfather as to where they lived one and then two feel compelled to call up that grandfather I didn't well, I didn't I buy will, that reveal there's, I don't know. there's a special reason why he remembers in that hotel but we'll get to that later that you know what Mac I, I might have to take everything back because I know what you're talking about yeah and that it could be the exception to a narrative rule. But I'll tell we'll you what, it that. is a king exception only. <laughs> but, but yeah, we'll get to that. Maybe he put that in there deliberately. Like, okay, you I might know. not believe uh, this is going to happen, but if we but, add this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know yet. I, I mean, think oh, well, well, yeah, you'll, you'll know, you'll, you'll know what we talk about. You know, that's, that's true. Uh, I do forget no, I, I agree. I, I do think uh, there, was, there was a line in here that I thought was really creepy, though. It's like when he's talking to the real grandfather, he says, um, all right, where is it? Uh, the grandfather says, sometimes the past don't rest so easy. Why else do people study history? Mm. And, you know, like, it, like again, with, with, with Dusender, like, the beast could sleep, but it's never, it's, it's always going to come back. It's always going to wake up. You know, there's no, when, you, when, you, when, when it's that atrocious, like, it, there's no real getting rid of it. And I guess unless you die, which we find out with Dusender at the end. But man, yeah, it's yeah. I I don't have a psychology degree. In case everybody listening has not figured that out yet, that's not your <laughs> great interest. Did, that was my great. Well, why be an interest? That's just my scholastic achievement. I'm a, I'm a I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that once you've committed evil things like that, I don't think you can just. I don't believe you can stop being evil. I don't believe in being saved. Sorry. If, if once really? this happened, I'm sorry. I think that if you've done that, you might be able to not act out on it, but. I, don't think you can just stop being evil. I think that even if Dustin had left this and genuinely left it, led a good life for the next 30, 40 years, he's still an evil. I still look at him as an evil person. I don't want to talk about Nazi war criminals, but you don't believe in like rehabilitation? Oh, no. Well, that's different. I'm, if, if you're a criminal who has been put in a situation where you have to commit crimes or have been raised a certain way, that's fine. What if I'm you're, saying what if, if you're, you're like, like, a, like, a, like a, you know, you're like a serial rapist and you don't understand that women are people and like... I mean, that's the thing. I don't. But that goes back to the inherent evil. That my definition of evil, like for Todd, the character, the character, the fictional character of Todd. By the way, I feel like this kid was born evil, and he was going to be evil no matter what. So I just feel like that kid is going to be evil forever, even if he doesn't act out on it. And I think Dustinder. I just think Dustinder is is evil. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there. I think you you can awaken it and have him act out. But I think that he's evil forever. But do you think that's a thing that exists in real life? Like people that are born evil. That's a question. That's a good question. That is a great question, Mel. And again, I am not a psychologist. I'm not going to pretend to answer I do that. Believe, yeah. but no, I do believe in rehabilitation. Yikes. But I do still think that there are some people who should never be let out of, of prison for things that they've done over time. Um, I have strong feelings about some, some of those acts, but uh, we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> Ed French. <But> Ed <laughs> French would probably agree with No, Ed French would not agree with me, actually, at all on that. Um, Let's talk more about rehabilitation. No. Um, but, yeah, so Rubber Ed obviously serves as the function of, okay, we're half through the novella. Let's introduce Ed French. And at the very end, let's have this be the catalyst that 
that truly ends uh, Todd's, I guess, ride that he's been on for the last mm-hmm. three or four years, you know. And that's the thing that truly sets Todd off and sets off and sets off that shotgun as well. But you know, we would have found out anyway because of our other. Mel, Day the transition you just made is incredible. Deus Ex uh, Vice Cop Via. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So, well, there's a couple people you can talk about. You want to talk about Vice Cop first, or should we talk about? Let's talk about Morris. Morris first, because he's yeah. the one who brings Vice Cop in. That's true. When. And I already knew this person was, honestly, until this person was introduced in the book, I forgot that he was in the film as well, right? And when it got to that part in the book, it was just so, because we only spent time with Todd and Dusender for like hundreds of pages. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, on the other side of the tracks, (laughs) and then they go into like Morris's whole history about how he fell off the ladder and all of a sudden I was like... You really, at this point, you really don't need to spend this much time building up this character because, like, it's very clear what what they're going for and what the big reveal is going to be. You know what I mean? I was like, it. I feel like they they King just doesn't handle that well. It's just like, I it just seemed too perfect that he would just happen to be in the same room as you know. I don't know. It was very Deus Ex Machina for me, but and obviously it's it. It doesn't like there's not a standoff between the two or something, and it doesn't <laughs> oh get like that God. crazy. Can you imagine that? I kind of wanted that. I don't know. It but, was it was very jarring. I agree with you to yeah. just completely disrupt our entire narrative flow and well, go to the guy fixing his roof. Yeah, because it's not like subtly. Who done. happens to be somebody you knew? Well, well, yeah, it, well. it's not like if it was like subtly done, or it's like he starts having a conversation with someone in the same room as him, and then over time you start to realize, oh my God, like this guy might have been at a camp. It's just like we get his whole backstory. We get a whole like you know so many pages of him. And it, I, I don't know. It just seems like too. Um, it's on the nose. Too much. Yeah. It's too I, I think nose. it would be the equivalent of if this was in Shawshank and, and Red's reading the entire time, and all of a sudden it ends, and it's like, um, oh god, I guess the warden all of a sudden picking up a chapter. Like I never liked Andy Dufresne, and the, you know, going on like that. It, it would be that genre. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Finishing the story, you don't know why you had to have those um, perspectives coming from Weisskopf and. And Morris, I think you could have done this whole thing easily just through disagree. Todd and Dusender. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. Well, let me ask you this: If you're going to disagree, let me let me prep you, prep sure. you with this. Do you think that those characters should have been introduced earlier, or do you are you fine with how they're introduced at this part? I'm of the actually story? fine with how they're introduced because we yeah. have spent so long with Todd and Dusender. It is almost like coming up for air for me, and just kind of like basking in some fucking normal ass <laughs> people for a little bit. And not only that, but you get you get. Um, an actual victim's perspective, which has been like so sorely wanting in this entire story. That's a good point. That is a good point. So does that and does that satisfy some of your criticism though with uh, with getting some more of the history of a little, the Holocaust a little bit? And experience, I feel, I feel experience? like it's it's a really interesting choice. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm like 100 percent gung ho behind it, but I do like that we get it. Um, you know, if he's going to do this crazy thing, it's better that he do it. With like, here's a man fixing his roof. He has a, a past, and he has a wife, and here is his a little bit about his character and how he's doing on the roof. He's a character. What he, he's what a he, real character. What he thinks about day to day, instead of like, and in the hospital bed next to him was a man with some numbers tattooed on his arm. Like, yeah, that's true. So, I, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I don't want to interrupt you. No, I, I mean that's probably all I have to say. But I, I really just think that, and maybe it's a selfish like, 
a selfish thing where I was just so kind of like drowning in Todd and Dusender that by the time we got to Morris and Weisskopf, it, it just felt like really good. It felt like a relief. To, and, and it also felt like a relief to see King do that. I was like, great. He's going to acknowledge that like there are people with thoughts that were affected by this. We're not just going to spend our whole time yeah. with these assholes. Sure. I mean, I don't mind in that sense. I'm not saying like, well, I don't want to hear the other side of it. You know, right. it was no, just the way that they bring it. Was, the it was a jarring for me. It was a jarring well, thing when you only have like 10 percent of the book left. I felt I'd liken it to like and and again, this is different because like Marathon Man. I was just thinking Marathon that. Man or read the book. Nope. Uh, there is a oh God, I really don't want to spoil this for you. So, you know, what? maybe we'll just go on. There's a scene near the end that kind there, of resembles what happens in this. I'll, we'll say yeah, that much. There's a How scene towards the end where there, there is a, a realization of some sort yeah. in, that, in that way. And it seems awfully convenient, but it's still a great movie. It, it does, but it, to me, that's more, belie- it's more believable if that happens. Mm-hmm. But however, you get to spend most most of the movie with a good guy, and yeah. whereas in this, you're it's with these two guys. horrible yeah. guys the whole time. And we just and we just never get any acknowledgement of the humanity of their victims at all. So to actually go inside one of the victims and see his humanity firsthand was like, okay, thank God. I think <laughs> like, the, the trouble is that though, if you if you are focusing, this is really the first time King has done this, especially with something this long. There is no hero in this at all. It's just the two villains, and there's two right. different villains combating, fighting against each other. And so, like you said, Mel, it's hard to find the humanity and the, and the victim. And the other. Like, we're not spending time with the stew bums who are getting murdered. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I, I think that I – I guess that might be a conscious decision on King's part then is to have – here's all this evil. Oh, by the way, here's a victim from the past mm-hmm. who's been yeah. affected by this evil, this absolute evil. You know? Yeah. Right. So, and I – you know, it's a, it's a really tough – it's a really risky thing to do, and I think King is one of the braver authors for attempting it to start a novel with like or novella rather with someone being like, I want to hear about like the worst bits. Cause then you know he's gonna have to write about the yeah. worst bits, yeah. and we're gonna have to stick want to stick with the book despite that. And so we know like, it's only gonna get that's worse. a setup for disaster. Like that's just gonna feel like wallowing in shit for so long, and yeah. like I, ugh, I don't know. <laughs> like it's a tough balance. You gotta acknowledge the victim somehow, somewhere. Was this the best choice? Probably not. Well, like, I think I for know. me, when we got to that character and they were spending so much time on it, I was like, I've spent the last like two hundred pages wanting this to end, mm-hmm. and now we're gonna open up the world more. Like I was just like. I just want to see them get their comeuppance and be done. Like, I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to go into a whole new character. And I was like, how much more of this do we have? I was just scared that there was going to be so much more. And I was just like, this is just like, I don't know. It was just, it was a really hard read. And and, and, and in that sense, he does his job because it was a hard read. It was a scary, a different kind of scary. And I just, I was so ready for the body. For the <laughs> I really was, and that sounds like a really yeah. uplifting story too. But I but. think if this was just released as a separate piece of work by King, you know, it, it wouldn't make as much sense. But I do like how this is—we are thrust into this depravity after the hopefulness of of Rita Hayworth and Shawshank and Shawshank Redemption. No, the yeah. I mean, I, well, I make I sure think, I get that. Do you mean Andy? Rita and Hayworth, the Andy and the, sl- yeah. Andy and the Slammer, and then we get Cats in the Oven. I mean, it's just—it's oh, incredible. Oh, boy. Um, that's the last time. Guest appearance. I was like, I was like let's not. Um, uh, oh yeah. man, we'll talk yeah. about the we'll guest appearance later, later on too. But I um, thought. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Weisskopf or did you have something Yeah, no, 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 we can move into Weisskopf. But Weisskopf is very similar to the Morse device of, okay, now we're going to have Weisskopf explaining why, um, how they're figuring all this stuff out. It's very exposition. It's very, you know, inspector, 
it's like Sherlock Holmesy, you know. It, I don't know. I don't, it's I like I don't like the character, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's just I don't know if we need to have I mean, all the explanation. It's kind of like the psychologist in the psycho, you know. Like, do we need to have the psychologist in yeah, the psycho? Well, for good yeah, actor, probably, by the way, for most audiences, most the audiences, they're like, like, wait, why is he dressed up as a woman? Um, ultimately, I think that. You you kind of needed this only for if only for Dusender to take the steps that he does because if he didn't I don't know would he would he have like tried to kill himself after? Well, I'm saying I don't mind him like, being on the bed with him and saying I know who you are I know who you are I'm saying like the car seen, ride and all and like the uh, coffee okay. shop scene like yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's yeah. also I mean I agree that he's super super talky <laughs> um, I like those kind of details because I am like a Sherlock Holmes fan but I also think it's important to get not only the victim who has these terrible traumatic memories but someone who is now empowered and a, a part of the victims you know in group to come in I don't know maybe I'm just like this should be a standard like, fable with like the good guys <laughs> winning at the end and I need that for myself for, to sleep at night this needs to be more Andy and the Slammer-esque is what yeah. you're saying you need some more of that Slammer-esque uh, um, storytelling and I liked how because I was totally convinced that Todd had pulled one over on them until we get in the car and Weisskopf is like yeah that kid was in on it somehow I was like damn right he is. And, I, and that's a problem we'll get to the movie later on um, no, I was gonna say yeah, I, didn't, I, I guess I didn't mind Weisskopf in, in terms of the fact that he was like piecing it together with, mm-hmm. with Todd, um, I actually liked that because I for a while there you're like, is this kid gonna get away with this? And again, I had only seen the film, uh, so yeah. I didn't know I didn't know the ending of the book. I just thought I didn't mind the characters so much. I minded the amount. I felt we spent too much time, especially with Weisskopf and what was the name of the other cop? I forgot. Weisskopf, not not Weisskopf. <laughs> we'll <laughs> not call Weisskopf. him that. The not Weisskopf character. Um, I could have done a little, little less talk, a little more. Action a little more. Let's get this novella over with at this point. Um, are there any more? Well, I want to save if I can. If you if you two don't mind, can we save um, Monica Baby and Richard Baby for pound cake section, please? Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. I oh, got some no good problem. takes on them. Any other characters you want to talk about? Mike? I just wanted to talk about uh, Morris. <laughs> uh, I just want to talk about Morris's whole um, the monkey's paw story that he yeah. brings up. Sure. Yeah. Um, because I feel like. It's just it's interesting because you know you everybody's like uh, I am just stumbling over myself <laughs> ridiculous right now. Well, you just want to talk but, about the monkey's paw? No, just some, I just like that that he uses that as like the 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 crux of his you know story. I, I just like that, that I like that story in general, the monkey's paw, and I just thought it was interesting that he relates it to that. That was one of my favorite parts too. Just the whole explanation of the thought process behind do i really want to know yeah where well, i think is really interesting and this is where i was going with it was that the he brings up the monkey's paw because that's all about like like fearing knowing the truth and all this stuff whereas todd's likening it to the sorcerer's apprentice you know what i mean yeah. it's like this fantastical like fairy tale like yeah. whimsical cartoon and then you know we got morris over here like well i don't want to see like the, my dead relatives like stumbling knocking to on my the door, door. Yeah. yeah you know it's 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 the two mindsets like someone who who fears the knows the truth but but fears it and respects it right. enough to leave it let it lie and leave it in the past. Um, no, that's to, super interesting. Whereas peril or um, yeah. Juxtaposition. yeah juxtaposition. Whereas Todd's like, well, I'm not gonna do. I'm just not gonna do any research or anything. I'm just gonna bring these well, things to life and just deal with the consequences or not even deal with the consequences to that extent. For everybody out there interested in the monkey's paw, of course, the definitive monkey's paw story is in Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> the Tale of the Monkey Paw. Check it out. Um, 22 minutes. It's one of Stephen King's favorite old short stories. He he talks talks about about it in Dance Macabre. 
Um, Isn't it like a raven's claw or something? It's not. It's a copyright. It a mon- <laughs> the no, I don't paw. remember it being <laughs> the monkey's paw. I remember it being some kind of other claw. It's like the gorilla's foot or something like that. I always mix it up with know, monkey shines. But but I, you know, <laughs> that is. I will say that's probably my first introduction monkey to that shines. to that story, though. Also, was, shock are you the afraid monkey. of the dark? Uh, oh, Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel shock, shock the monkey. Um, mm, shock the monkey paw. I know that's a really cool, really good point, and it makes me wonder where on the line as horror fans do we lie? Are we? Are we monkey's paw folk or are we uh, sorcerer's apprentice folk? Oh, that's a great one. Um, hmm. Uh, I'm going to go I think I would look through the peephole at my dead son. <laughs> and be like, nope, say. throw it out. <laughs> like, oh, hold on, not yet, not yet, not yet. Uh, and yeah. throw it out. Just co- open the door a crack be like, I, oh, gross, no, okay. <laughs> Personally, I'm, I'm more of like a dancing hippo's. That's another Fantasia cartoon. Oh, boy. I'm more um, of a uh, call me Mr. Monkey Paw because uh, oh, really? I am crushing that thing before they get to the door. No, no. The Monkey's Paw. I, like, you oh, would, no, you're you would, right. You I totally do it. screwed this no, up. Monkey's paw is, no, the Monkey's Paw is you're scared of seeing the thing. It's uh, a horror story and you're scared of it. And Sorcerer, Sorcerer's Apprentice is like, let it happen. I want control and I want to do whatever I want to do. That's and, right. That's right. I, yeah. I want to, it's been a long it, it, it's time since I've seen... throwing caution to the wind. It's been a long time since yeah. I've seen that episode of, of um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I do apologize. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I blame myself. Well, because in the story, it isn't like the son or the daughter dies and yeah. so like the, the mother or the wife, uh, you know, wishes for them to be back and then they, they he knows like there's this like corpse coming to the door yeah. and then they and then he wishes for it to not be there. Yeah. And that's like... It throws the monkey paw into the fire, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, so, I, yeah. so we, we got to so be somewhere in between, right? Because you want to you wanna see the gushy bits, but not if it destroys your humanity. I would say, I think the best way Here's the thing. I'm more Friday 13th. I'm not so much live leaks. Oh, my God. Okay. There's, there, there, there's, but there's I like my, what you're saying, though, with like the people. Like, I want to see it, but from a protected distance where I don't have to let it in. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'll be even eerier to see it through a little peephole, though. You need oh, an out, though. At least you still have an out. Or maybe maybe you see like you um, know the shadow. You guys, all oh, that would be. Uh, this, you know, this all sounds like. You know, really like, scary. You know what we realized? You know scary, Mel, right. I, I think I think I think while we were talking, we weren't paying attention to where we were walking. Oh shit! And I think we've wandered. Uh, I think we've wandered off the moors into the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. I don't know about you two, but I didn't think there was a lot of disturbing parts of this book at all. <laughs> Lies. Just an easy stroll past the tombstones. It was a quick service. I'm going home now. Uh, I have a lot to say about and all for right. the cemetery Do you want to section. Start who wants to, we, let's go. We'll all list something and then Alternate. kind of go in a, in a little circle. So sure. who, wants to kick up, who wants to kick this off? Mel, do you want to kick this off? Do you have something? Sure. Um, I think the whole conversation between Dusinder and Todd, which I'm sure you guys will highlight where he flips it on him and makes him realize that they are forever intertwined mm. in their secret and also exposes... You know, he's a master interrogator, and Todd was kind of looking for that all along. He wanted to hear him talk this way, and once it happens, he's not prepared for it. And um, there's a bit on page 262 of the pocketbooks where he's told Todd that if he dies, Todd's reputation is going to be in shambles for the rest of his life because of what he's put in the safety deposit box that's incriminating information on Todd's involvement with him. And Todd says no. Uh, it says, no, Todd said thickly, what you're saying, I can't face that. 
My boy, Dusander said gently, and Todd heard for the first time, and with dawning horror, the slight accent the old man had put on the first word. My boy, mm. you must. Ah, that's a good one. Creepy. I, no, I had that. That was in here, too. Just the whole, like, when he starts referencing, like, he's trapped, like, in the pipe. Mm-hmm. At one time, he was in the pipe, and that's how it felt. Yeah, I think that and, my, that part I mentioned earlier when Todd says, I hate you, I think that's the tail end of that conversation. Yeah. But and that's it's a, just, yeah, it's just oof. the idea of being trapped or or um, forever linked with this horrible monster. And, yeah. I mean, you know, Todd's a monster, Realizing too, you're, but, you're you are know. outgunned. Like, yeah. you're, you're a little sociopath, but this guy's killed hundreds <laughs> of people, and he interrogated them, and he's a, he's a mastermind of evil. This is Kurt Dessender. Uh My next part was in page 194. Just uh, Dusender needing to wear the SS uniform to sleep, to mm. to ward off bad dreams by wearing something so, like, evil and just, you know... I, well, that's that, when he that had the power, you know? That, yeah, and that's what's so creepy to me is, like, he has to... You know, indulge this awfulness to ward off more awfulness. Uh, yeah. It's which is really just you know people getting getting uh, basically you know murdering him or tearing him apart or basically doing everything that probably he, he deserves to have happen to him. Um, I would say he does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, did I say that? I did. A, I, he probably did I probably that. no. He He's definitely that guy. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I just think like his worst fear are, 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 um, is is himself being brought to justice by the people he did these atrocities to, and uh, so. Uh, sorry, Dusender, you need to take that thing off and get your uh, yeah, Dusender. Enough of you. Um, there's a story that um, Dusender tells. Uh, Todd in the in earlier on about how you know certain people were going into the into the into the um, the various prisons and they were hiding materials in them and, and literally inside of them mm-hmm. oh, and right. there's one um, about a woman who swallows a diamond before entering uh, oh, God, yeah. and he says uh, when it came out in her waist she swallowed it again she kept doing this although eventually the diamond began to cut her insides and she bled just uh, idea of that obviously the repetition and the and the need to keep something like that with you no matter what the circumstances are it's disturbing in many ways not just a visceral but just psychological too i thought Mm -hmm. you know just um, so much of this and i'll just interject while mel finds her next one but so much of this is like i mean you know we talk about the cemetery and it's scary but this is so much of this is about real atrocities and real things that happened and i'm sure yeah, some this of these isn't stories, vampires floating in the dark you exactly know? This is real exactly. life and some of these stories too. i mean like this if i could put the whole book in the cemetery i would you know mm-hmm. but um yeah it's it's it was super hard to read some of these things that are just it's terrifying a tough one. but mac do you want to go now? mel did you find one well I, I don't think i need to read it but um and it's actually sort of a contrast i guess it's when Ducinder dies Hmm. Um, I think we can uh, appreciate that he's an, a terrible evil man who deserves to go to hell, but the idea of putting aside anyone's crimes, the idea that as you're dying, you suddenly think, oh, wait, am I going to be tortured by the worst things I've ever experienced for all of eternity, these dreams that I hate so I much? That. You want to read it? And he's, no, sure, you have yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I got it. It's the last yeah. thing right there. Uh, it's also sad that he comes to that realization only right before he dies. Right, yeah. It's like, yeah. how did you not here know we go. Gonna Justin's happen. helping me out here. Um <laughs> He had never felt so much like sleeping, and his sleep would be long. It would be restful. Unless there were dreams, the thought shocked him. Dreams? Please, God, no. Not those dreams. Not for eternity. Not with all possibility of awakening gone. Not in sudden terror, he tried to struggle awake. It seemed that hands were reaching eagerly up out of the bed to grab him, hands with hungry fingers. 
No, his thoughts broke up in a steepening spiral of darkness and he rode down that spiral as if down a grease slide, down and down to whatever dreams there are. Mm. It's definitely his just comeuppance. We can yeah. all agree about uh, that. Yes, but it's still, also like, terrifying. It's that finality, yet yeah. the eternity of it all, you know? Like, uh, that bothered me too. I agree. Obviously, I agree with you because I have that. Too. <laughs> Matt, do you have something else? Uh, page 199. <laughs> what uh, version is that? The oh, pocket yeah, what books. version do you have, Mac? Um, oh, sorry, books. what was that? Oh, well, some books. of these things we're going to read and some of them are not, so I just want to make sure people have the reference <laughs> point. Uh, page 199, uh, a little sequence, uh, it's called Cat in the Oven. Uh, oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, just, the, just the idea that to, to do this stuff, he has to kill these things. And the description of, of, of that cat in the oven, I think he likens it, like the sound that it makes to like, the sound of a young boy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just disturbing. I think I've got that down here too. Um, as a matter of fact, I have the exact same thing. Um, I don't. I didn't feel comfortable writing any of this out, so I'll just say that the dream that he has, the fantasy dream about Betty yeah. and the uh, the oh, electric yeah. probe dildo, is disca- is horrifying and um, and disturbing. I think he it's like his, he climaxes when he wakes up, like the first time he has a wet dream or something like that. Uh, it's gross, disturbing. Um, and obviously, some of those things were actually happening. Um, Mel, did you have something else? I mean, obviously, it's it's a horrifying book. Yeah, I, I had the part where he kills the stew bum yeah. because the description is so is so gross. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy a drink in the evening. Dusander agreed from behind him, and then rammed the butcher knife into the stew bum's neck. There was mm-hmm. the sound of ripping gristle, a sound like a drumstick being torn enthusiastically from a freshly roasted chicken. Yeah, I had that too. That's disgusting. These are violent people, Mac. Uh, that was what that was that when um sorry I wasn't paying, I was looking for something else but was that when Todd killed no that's no, when no, Dustner he's the first one that Dustner kills I think, uh, right? yeah. yeah so I only had two more but it was Todd when Todd kills the bum and I think it I think it's like he stabbed him thirty nine times or something like that yeah, and you're yeah. just like yeah if there was any uh. Uh, if there's any, maybe Todd wasn't like this, or it, it's like no one, no one stabs someone thirty nine times. Like you got to be really thirty seven times. Really, thirty seven times. Oh, you, that's not so bad. You yeah, got to be really. I, I feel like thirty and over. You're a true psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's something's wrong. God. Um, and then also uh, Morris's dream, which is I think it just basically has a bad dream with the monkey paw and mm-hmm. like pictures his own daughters, and then. Um, Kind of like the, getting the uh, letter. Uh, yeah, it's just disturbing. It's just, yeah. And I have a couple more that go back to what you were talking about, Mel, earlier about how a lot of times these serial killers will equate um, sexuality with violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple instances here that disturbed me. Um, when This is when Todd encounters one of the first, the winos for the first time. This is before he kills him, but he runs into one of the winos. Uh, he put his hand in his pocket and gripped the knife. In his mind's eye, he saw Dustinger's jackknife working slowly around the neck of the bourbon bottle, slitting the seal. A moment later, he became aware that he had an erection. Um, and then this one, it's in the cemetery because ultimately it's, it's disturbing, but it's, it's kind of goofily, goofily written. Sure. Not very well written. I'll say that. All right. <laughs> oh, God. This is when um, Todd goes up in the hill and is kind of fantasizing shooting people from, from the top. He writes, uh, he shot at five others, the impotent snap of the hammer, spoiling the illusion at the end of each kill. Then he cased the rifle again. He carried it back up the slope, bending low to keep from being seen. He put it into the back of the Porsche. There was a dry, hot pounding in his temples. He drove home, went up to his room, masturbated. It's just not, I, I thought 
that was really creepy and like, I, I well think, done. Because I think that's not the first time. He'll just kind of throw in there at the very end, like, and he, he masturbated. Yeah, again. like, that's just... And, he did it again. That's it's just it's, what yeah, happens it's, now. It, I have it here, obviously, but yeah. when you are looking at it, sometimes it's like, eh, I don't know if uh, it's a little... That's what I, my next scary thing was going to be, just the general idea of him going there and fantasizing about shooting people in their cars is, like, really creepy. And he seems to know, like, I think Mac mentioned this earlier, that that was how it was all going to end for him, too, that he yeah. was going to ultimately go up there, and one way or the other, that was going to be the uh, yeah. the end. We could go on, I think, for a long time, because literally any time Dustin Durr, any allusions are made to what Dustin Durr did in the camps... Anything that he describes that really happened, you know, in our reality, um, we could go on for another hour about I that. I say this whole book is just—it's a disturbing book. If you like, if, if you like, if you if you like reading Stephen King stories that will disturb you, you could do worse than reading uh, people. I will yeah. say that. Yeah. So far. Even the like bit that seems a little laughable when you talk about it, where he makes him put on the uniform and march around. Oh, like yeah. I think King pulls that scene off. I do too. I do too, because that's another one of those situations. Again, I think to what you were talking about, Mel, is when he realizes that's the point of no return. Where mm-hmm. this guy, this is the person that I've been talking to this entire time. You know, dumb old Todd, sociopath Todd. Um, but if we can exit this disturbing service in the cemetery, um, I've got my laptop in the car. If I pulled up, let's um, see if I can find a word processor of the god. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? I, I had no transition there, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I had a laptop in the car, and I was going to pull it, open it up, and my word processor was going to be there. So let's go on. This is a, for those who have listened to us in passing or only a couple times again. The word processor of the god is a section where we like to talk about um, some really well-written uh, King prose. So who wants to kick this one off for App Pupil? Mel? I only have one. I was huh? maybe going to do the monkey's paw a bit, um, but then I it's a long section, and I think we covered it well. But just the part, again, where he, um, Todd and Ducinder are talking, and Ducinder kind of levels the playing field, as it were. Um, Dusunder was studying him avidly, and Todd was suddenly nakedly aware that this old man had interrogated hundreds, perhaps thousands, of people. He was an expert. Todd felt that his skull had turned to window glass, and all things were flashing inside in large letters. That just sort of rang true to me as like a really good description of panic in one's head. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do like that. Mac? Uh, I only had a couple. Uh, not that it's like a poorly written book, but it's just... You know, there wasn't anything that was like the whole thing's very affecting. Yeah, Yeah, it's affecting as hell. Um, But just I like this description. When um, page two fifty, he writes, um, uh, he says, "I hate you." He whispered, and then Dusinder began to choke on his own laughter. He his face turned a dull brick color. It sounded as if he were coughing, laughing, and strangling all at the same time. Uh, I mentioned that one, and I and I jumped. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) It's the paragraph before that. He says. I make a choice, boy. Long life. Long life to both of us. Prosit. He tossed his bourbon off at a gulp and then began to laugh. He rocked back and forth. Uh, <clears throat> stockings began to... Sto- stockinged? Huh? Oh, stockinged feet hitting the linoleum. No, ah, linoleum. Jesus, can't talk. <laughs> Laughing, and Todd thought he had never looked so much like a vulture. A vulture in a bathrobe. A noisome beast of carrion. Mm. Just like that. And then... The last sentence of the book. 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah. mine. Yeah, I, well, we can wait. Well, I'll, but. I'll, I'll I'll just say that one right now. I yeah. guess. Um, <sighs> there there are better there are better King stories. That's an understatement, I guess. But in terms of remembering the last lines of books, like this, that ending has stuck with me for, throughout the years. Like I always remember how this book ends and that last line, how it's broken apart from the rest of the story. Much like I remember the ending of Shawshank. Like it's it's that ingrained in me. I guess I found my great interest after all. No, um, and I'll just read. The, I'll read the last pages, the last paragraphs. Yeah. Um, it's at the very end after he's killed Rubber Ed. Uh, when he came back out into the sunshine, he was smiling excitedly, his eyes dancing. It was the way boys smile on their birthdays, on Christmas, on the Fourth of July. It was a smile that betokened skyrockets, treehouses, secret signs, and secret meeting places. The aftermath of the triumphal big game when the players are carried out of the stadium and into the town on the shoulders of the exultant fans. The ecstatic smile of tow-headed boys going off to war in coal scuttle helmets. I'm king of the world, he shouted mightily at the high blue sky and raised the rifle two-handed over his head for a moment. Then, switching it to his right hand, he started toward that place above the freeway where the land fell away and where the dead tree would give him shelter. It was five hours later and almost dark before they took him down. Creep, and it's, it sucks because, of course, I'm the king of the world. Twenty years later, <laughs> became yeah, the Titanic, Titanic thing. Yeah. But no, it's still. Um, you know, it's funny. It's just so. This is just a, like with the previous story with Shawshank. It's just again, it's obviously so hopeful, and mm-hmm. you just feel so optimistic about everything. And by the end of this, it's just. It's, it's over. It's, it's also it's awful. still so sadly relevant because yeah. that oh. shit is happening every fucking day in this country. <laughs> I, There's a lot of things that we were. I was shocked to read years later, finding how relevant they are. Again, going back to the whole what is a Nazi today and what was a Nazi description 40 years ago, and then obviously kids killing people with guns. You know, I actually it's funny because I, I thought of that King of the World reference, obviously to the Titanic, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I only thought of it after the fact because I. Um, I thought it was like white heat or the, the look mom on top of the world, like the, the way that he's uh, going out in a, like a blaze of glory and like shooting. And I kind of, I, that's where I went to. And, and I don't know, maybe that's what King went to too. But uh, yeah. And then, and then I, of course I immediately thought when I was looking back, I was like, Oh yeah, it's Titanic. <laughs> but um, you know, the great Titanic. Yeah. Best movie of so, James Cameron's uh, last uh, great foray into filmmaking, right? Yep. I have no joke. It's absolutely correct. I don't think it's made a great movie in 20 years. Yeah. Well, when was The Abyss made? That was before. 20, that was 28 years uh, ago. Yeah. I do love The Abyss. Do you not like The Abyss? No, I love The Abyss. Oh, I was going to say. She was saying maybe that was the last one. Oh, great. no, no, no. The, the, uh, the, the, the movies made after that was like Avatar and Avatar 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and, oh, and wasting his you know life what? away. Thanks for Oof. the 80s and 90s, Jim. Good luck. I don't know how the hell we ended up on Jim Cameron after reading that ending of At People. <laughs> I do blame. I I'm King of the World. I'm King of the World. Uh, You're right. I'm King of the World. I'm like starving. Can we get some pound cake? After all you've been taught, everyone in Bad Mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Yes, Mac. We can get some pound cake. However, having said that, I think I'm going to go starving because I, I mean, there's some pound cake in here, but because of the content of the story, I just like I had a hard time. Writing anything down and putting it away to like laugh about pound cake, you know what I mean? So, right. did you guys have a lot of pound cake in Just here? Just one. I have one. I, Mel, we, we I'm assuming we're one. on the same thing here, and I'd like to act out how I felt the scene <laughs> acted out, but you go first, Mel. Please. I just love that King can't 
he's like, okay, there are only so many characters in this book. I have to have someone describe how hot the mom is. It's going to have to be the son. It's going to be Todd. It's going to have to be Todd. Do you, do you have it? Um, I think I do. It's, I oh, just boy. was, I was in, I was just incensed. I was like, really? And the whole Todd baby, Monica baby thing is creepy. Okay, here we go. Here's our introduction to Todd's mother. On page 165, Todd baby, she greeted him. Monica baby, he hailed back amiably enough. His mother wasn't a bad looking chick for 36, Todd thought. Blonde hair that was streaked ash in a couple of places, tall, shapely, now dressed in dark red shorts and a sheer blouse of a warm whiskey color. The blouse was casually knotted below her breasts, putting her flat, unlined midriff on show. A typewriter eraser was tucked into her hair, which had been pinned carelessly back with a turquoise clip. Just how every son thinks about their mother. And note that we don't get a nice little uh, pound cake about his dad, just his mom. Just his mom, and he's probably biting his lip as he was describing her. You know what really is disturbing, listening to you read that again, Mel, is not only the fact that this is King having a child describing his mother in such a way, but I remember reading this as a kid and now reading it now and thinking, oh my, Jesus Christ, I am older than Todd's mother. <laughs> his parents are really young in his books. I, I don't like hearing their ages, too. Yeah. They get like, it's like I'm like 10 years older than Jack Torrance. Yeah, like exactly. Like, like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm uh, um, Donna's age in Cujo. <sighs> right? It's just, oh, my God. But, it, but I will say it is interesting reading these books as adults. You know, so it's, it's a whole, it's definitely a different perspective, obviously. Like, yeah. why do we need that? We don't even get into Mo- like Monica is not <laughs> important. Like, it's literally just Stephen King. Like, yeah, but apparently, well, it's time for this now. It, here she is, well, he, Monica, uh, baby. How far, how far is that into the book? It's like, it's like, oh well, hey. I guess some people might be checking out. Here's a hot woman. Like, what? It's not that far. It's the first time we um, ever. I well, mean, it, I'm sure it's say. to 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 further delve into Todd's, you know, weird, you know, I, his weirdness and how he's like, yeah, you know, this but, is eerily reminiscent of because the name the name for the segment is pound cake because of something that happens in 11 63 years later but this next sequence we're back with monica baby and it's richard right is that the father's name i don't know i can't remember mm, yeah not as important as monica baby pa- um papa todd oh it is because it's, it's dick bowden it's dick bowden so there's a there's a sequence where we actually do spend a little time away from dusinder and mm-hmm. todd i forgot there's a there's a moment where we spend time with todd's parents in bed and the following happens Oh, God. Um, Dick says, you know, my mother said that when I was 14, you could hear me growing in the night. Good thing not all of you grew that much. It's all now you use it. Want to use it tonight? Ah, the winch grows bold, Dick Bowden said, and threw the earplug across the room. Now, <laughs> I kept picturing the him. The winch grows bold. The winch bold. grows bold. And then I kept I'm sure he just kind of tossed it aside. But for some reason, I picture him like standing up out of bed and just rearing Whipping up it. and just, <laughs> just full speed like a fastball throwing the earplug across the room oh, God. before getting back also, into I it. Also, I like how their thing is like just totally emasculated. Like, like, hey, are you saying your dick's not that big? Hey, good thing that small. You want to use that small dick tonight? Okay, let me throw <laughs> my t- let me throw my earbud against the wall. Um, I thought I, I, I giggled. I think that was a little uh, release while I was reading this book that I needed. I believe. And there's a couple of great ones. This goes back to the women of uh, early King, especially um, with Betty. And um, a moment later, Betty was whispering in his ear, her, her breath warm and redolent of juicy fruit gum. Oh, by the way, my addition, it says juicy fruit gun. Oh. Which is a misprint. Yeah. Really? Obviously. Um, and she says, lover, you can do me any old time. Just call me. <laughs> 
Was she like a like a nineteen forties? Uh, <laughs> there's like a terrifying like, bit though where he describes like how it feels to to have sex with her, and she's just totally objectified. If he says oh, something yeah. like it's just like putting it like in muscle or something. Oh, and, it's just gross. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. oh, I think God. that might this might be the tail end of that Mel. Yeah. I think that is also when he's describing how he's able to finish. He has to able to have the fantasy. That, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't think I didn't want to include that in the funny. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. I just forgot uh, about that. Ugh. Um, Oh, and this one that reminds me of the comedian uh, Claudio Dowdy. She's also in love. Um, on comedy, on comedy, Bang Bang, she does an imitation of uh, Kim Cattrall's Samantha from Sex and the City, mm-hmm. and she says, "She just goes like, I love to fuck," <laughs> but it's dead on. I can't do it justice, obviously. <laughs> but it reminded me of this moment in at people. But the first time with Becky had gone fairly well. She was no virgin, even if he was. She had to keep. She had to help him get his cock into her. But she seemed to take that as a matter, of course. And halfway through the act itself, she had gurgled up from the blanket that they were lying on. I just love to fuck. <laughs> it was the tone of voice another girl might have used to express her love for strawberry whirl ice cream. <laughs> I just love. I'm, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I have never. Um, part uh, of me feels like. Nobody's ever just told me that. Nobody's ever told me that. Part of me feels like King had to have some experiences because a lot of this sounds like super old speak. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I mean, a, a bygone generation. So it's like, like, is this stuff that King actually experienced? These are things that people would say back then. They didn't like express themselves. They didn't know how to express themselves, so they just yelled out, "I love to fuck" and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know. But uh, this is, is the light it? portion of our at people discussion. Um, yeah, anything that's else? All there is, really. That's literally all there is. A fun, a fun uh, games. Uh, I think there, there's actually you know some lighter stuff in uh, in, in a, a dominion uh, we like to call King King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. I only have two things. I don't want to do both of them because I feel like one's a a, lot. they're both huge. But uh, you have oh. a lot. Well, not a lot, a lot, but more than two. Um, yep. I only had two here, so I'm very interested. No. Well, do we want to talk about the obvious ones first? The obvious one, I, well, there's one huge obvious one that I wanted to talk about. What's well, Andy Dufresne? Andy Dufresne, yeah. yeah. And that's on page um, 156. Yeah, whoever, whoever wants to read that, if, if you got I it. don't have the section, but just, I got it. yeah, if okay. someone has it and they want to read it, go ahead. Well, he's introduced it first. Um, Stocks I picked up after the war under yet another name through a bank in the state of Maine, if you please. The banker who bought them for me went to jail for murdering his wife a year after I bought them. Life is sometimes strange, boy, Hein. And then mm-hmm. on the next page, he says, um, Dufresne, his name was. I remember because it sounds a little like mine. It seems he was not so smart at wife killing as he was at picking growth stocks. The crime passionnel, boy. It only proves that all men are donkeys who can read. <laughs> I thought this was like... I mean, talk about corruption. Like, after we read Shawshank, we're like, by the way, Andy Dufresne also really helped a, a Nazi. Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> what if he knew he was a Nazi too? Yeah, that's what I was yeah, I don't okay, think he Mr. Dinker. I'll see I you know, soon. but it's yeah. still just like, forget that last story. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I know, like, yeah. Well, and the thing it also, also me, like, who, who have you encountered in your life and you didn't know who they really were, you know, that type of thing, yeah. too. Well, and I guess do you it, ever think about that? I think about that all the time. I do you guys think time. you've ever talked to a murderer? I, let me tell you something right now, real quick. Oh, I, don't know. I used to work at a hotel for years. You definitely talked to a murderer. I definitely talked to a murderer. I just, I, I like, I talked I just to banged murders. my mouth against the yeah. microphone Mel, screen in excitement. <laughs> uh, Mel's great interest has been discovered. <laughs> she, um, no, I really um, am obsessed with like, she's I think about that. Maybe too often because we encounter so many people in life. And like I said, when I went to the hotels for years and years. Oh, by the way, this park, this hotel I worked at was just outside of Disney World. 
So this was not some just, like this oh. was hundreds of people a day, you know, you're encountering, and you just yeah, you just know the percentages are not. I guess you, I would say they were in my favor. I would say that the chances are I met a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got you know Mac. I'll let you read the um, the one that we should really talk about in detail. But I do have a dumb room two thirty seven one. If I can read this one. This oh, is, room, and two, again, room, room 237, 237 is. If you've seen the Room 237 documentary about the Shining film, um, you'll know that a lot of people are really reaching they're with their, yes. their takes on certain things. We love that, though. But we love it. And, and oh, I love it so yeah. much, I'm going to talk yeah. about one of the ones I, I think I found here. Um, Dustinger says to Todd, I frightened you with reform school once when I was badly afraid you might crack and tell everything. But do I believe that? No, no. I used it in the way a father will use the boogeyman to frighten the child into coming home before dark. Is he talking he about the, the boogeyman, boogeyman or does he say what? the boogerman? He says the boogerman. He does because of his accent. I, I think we're talking about the boogeyman from I Night Shift. I'm 100% positive. I swear to God. I, I, had the, I think I wrote that down or I had it marked and then I was like, <laughs> I can't put that in here. <laughs> I will say, you I know, I, I want to go back because I think King mentions the boogeyman in, in every single book, in every single story. Oh At God. some point, someone says something or mentions the boogeyman in some way. I'm sure in Kuchel, I, I kind Frank of, does the boogeyman. Oh, yeah, no, totally. But, I mean, that's like a huge part yeah, of that of course. book. But, yeah, I think that was I had that in there. And um, okay. there's a bunch of stuff like that in, in uh, the body, but we'll get to that later. But, you know, Mac, um, if you're going to talk about something from The Shining, hold off, because, Mel, did you have some other things? I had a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's hear it. Well, one first. is, and I, I feel like we were just talking about stuff that might have happened to King that he includes in his works, and I feel like it, at least once, King was propositioned for a blowjob by a bum, because that's all his bums do in his stories. Yeah. They uh, offer yeah. to give people blowjobs. Um, that that's happens in this book. Well, we should mark that. We should start marking that down, like a, a, new, a new segment. Is, is the protagonist <laughs> slash antagonist propositioned by a bum? Bye, bomb for a sexual favor. Um, could it be Eddie's leper? No, because maybe he dies later. But <laughs> right, though, that's um, a little though. two three seven too. Okay, yeah. and then another two three seven. They talk. They're talking about. Um, bah, 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 bah. Who is Dave? What is, oh, this is when he's at dinner. Yeah, um, he's talking about his past. In Germany, he had owned a beautiful St. Bernard. Now in Santo Donato, he had a house with a good-sized backyard. Mm-hmm. The yard was fenced, and he had read in the paper, would it be possible that he could? Well, we don't have any Bernards, Dave said. They go fast because they're so good with kids. Uh, that's, that's what he's good. adopting a dog to kill. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I like that. I like that. That's a good take. That's a good take. The Kuja. The Kuja. Yeah. The and then the him. Blue Jay. The Blue Jay that's in yeah, several books. We talked, I think we were all on the same episode when we talked about yeah. that. What, I don't think He I was uses on the this. same, almost the same exact sentence. Um, this is when Todd is biking. On the corner, he saw a blue jay lying on the sidewalk, its beak slowly opening and closing. That blue jay with the beak slowly opening and closing is in a couple other books. I think it, maybe the dead zone might have been mentioned that too. Maybe this is like Path of the Blue Jay. <laughs> well, I, I have. Oh, I should mention this at the top. There's something that happens in this that really threw me for a loop in terms of what, what where, and when this takes place. Mm-hmm. And really? I'll mention it in a minute. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's keep going here. Mac, or do you have something else, Mel, before we no, get to the I, shining one? I think that's it. Thanks for entertaining you guys. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's the, so we got some room 237 and some yeah. interesting coincidences going this on. This isn't even like a 237, really, and it's not really super shining related. It's just, it's just interesting. But the room that. Rubber Red stays in is 217. This is definitely Shining related. Yeah, but he's not at the Overlook. He's not, but it says so... Is it a Holiday Inn, isn't he? Here he was in the room 217 at the Holiday Inn, his wife and daughter at home, the TV broken, and a pleasant smell hanging around in the bathroom. I thought that was funny. I mean, obviously it's not the Overlook, but obviously in the Shining, you've got the woman in the bathroom. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, yeah. So 
But but I did think that, that leads me to maybe being able to forgive Ed just so happening to to, to be thinking about. Um, you think there's like a Todd's uh, fake grandfather uh, and decided oh, that's what you guys decide, were talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I thought you call were talking him. about his nagging wife, and he was like, "I'm going to prove this bitch wrong. No, no, this guy's no, not going to no, look no, like no, that no, celebrity no. she's obsessed that's with." That's not where our heads were. Man. No, 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 no. I, I really thought it was that was a king's out. Like, well, maybe there's something weird about this room, and that's why he's he was like, "Let me call this guy randomly." From the, who haven't talked to you in years? Well, you know, Todd, like, maybe. Todd like turned it all around, and he wanted oh. to like congratulate. I don't know. It's I, it is dumb. But King does he he like really he's like I'm gonna try my damnedest to convince you that this could happen. I'm gonna get so detailed with really like does. how it works up to this. Maybe like, there's some shine residue left over in that. Maybe someone else stayed in that hotel. Uh, I don't think Ed French had the shine. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to Todd's. So, no, I'm really <laughs> interested, Justin. You said like when does this? When are you saying this takes place in the world of King? Well, it's in the 70s. Well, no, oh, he you, wrote you this no. um, after he wrote the first draft of The Shining. No, you just said that you had the thing you're leading up to that you said, I know when this takes place. Oh, or no, this is nothing to do. Trust me, it's not what you're thinking about, though. This is my huge issue I have with this book. Now, I know this obviously takes place in a world where there's a Holocaust and, and whatnot that happens, obviously. Okay. During Morris's introduction, the following is written. The Atlanta Braves, his favorite baseball oh, no. team... Oh, swept brother. a doubleheader from the high and mighty Cincinnati Reds by scores of 7-1 to one and 8-0. to zero. Absolutely false. I did research. Now, back in the 70s, this is before there were a lot of dome stadiums, as we all know. So there were a lot of rain delays. So what they would have to do is the next day they would play a doubleheader. They would play an, af- they would play an afternoon game and an evening game. Okay, fair enough. Do we have the playing off music from the Oscars saved anyone? No, no, wait. Do we no have joke. the um, This Week in Baseball music? I think we need that to be playing underneath this immediately. Now, the Reds and Braves did play each other um, on doubleheaders twice during the years that um, Dussender, Max shaking his head, Mel is looking at me like, she's going to kill me, um, that, um, in which the action of people takes place. In 1976, well, I should also say, they're saying that the Braves won both games during this doubleheader. In 1976, on July 24th, Reds won both games, not the Braves. In 1979, they also had a doubleheader but the Reds and the Braves won one each. There's never a case of the Braves being the Reds and the doubleheader by those scores at all during this time period. And that really took me out of the entire book. It was really thrown for a loop. all the facts to check. Mac, I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I mean, I, I can't believe it, you know? And so I really... Well, I assume you've written a letter to I, King, I who, is letter. A, who is aging and uh, Who's, has... Well, uh, who wrote this? Hey, he's a young man, so he's no excuse. <laughs> uh, newsflash, this, this is obviously a parallel dimension and not uh, the path we are on. I think this might go back to what Mel was talking about earlier, and then what Mac referenced after is just the path of the Blue Jay. I don't know. Could be. Um, that's just my. That's, that's a little. I do have here my notes. For you. I have huge issue with six exclamation points <laughs> oh my afterwards. God, he has, let me see five that. with five exclamation points afterwards. Huge issue. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't lying. And false. After <laughs> oh, the quote right. from the false. book. False. Wow. Yeah. So, what can I say? I was uh, taken aback. I'm sure. Listeners, you must feel so privileged to have someone who does you know, this kind of investigative journalism. Mel, I agree with you 100%. I think it, the, the, um, the links that all of us go to, the, the fact-checking that we go to, is it's unparalleled. Yeah, we should really have a whole sports section. I really shouldn't say that. He's going to get ideas. No, no, no. Allison, and I, Allison <laughs> will come back, and we'll do a whole sports section again like we did one time. People, people just loved it. People loved it. Um, anything else for this <laughs> section? Anything else for this section? No. 
<laughs> I don't have anything else. No. All right. Well, let's go into our overall thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. And who wants to go? Feist. I'll go. Uh, I, yeah, I was really disturbed by the book. I thought that that punchline at the end stuck with me. It's uh, it's really dark. It's a hard read. I think, um, I think it is one of King's better stories. I mean, it, just in terms of, I don't know. I mean, it packs a punch, and it stuck mm. with me, and it made me think. And I can't say that for every single one of King's uh, stories, especially the Bachman stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I, I liked it. Um, I would have to give it, I don't know, four bright red Pennywise clown noses, or I'd give it four or three and a half. It, 3.75. Well, it's hard. It's, it's just like it's one of those books. I don't know. It's like Requiem for a Dream or one of these things that you're like, this is great. I'll never read it again, you know? And that's why, that's where I got to after pupil. Like I, like I didn't, I watched the movie two years ago and I, I couldn't really bring myself to watch it again for the, for the podcast. Cause I just was like, I don't know if I could do it. Uh, All right, but that's where I'm coming from. That's, yeah. We're, we're going to mark that as a 3.75, 3.75 for I read Penny West yeah. so Okay, It's not a polished, a polished <laughs> nose, but stupid nickel stupid. Knows. Oh God. Um, don't, I can't do the math yeah. in my head for that. Oh God. Mel, what would you what would you say? Um, I think that certain parts of this book really worked and certain parts really didn't. And it's such fraught subject material that the fact that I think it is a successful story is is really surprising to me. Um, I for me it was it was a page turner. Like mm-hmm. as soon as they started going back and forth, um, I definitely wanted to see where it was going and I definitely needed to know how it ended. It was very disturbing. I thought King um I thought he like really did what was necessary to convey the horrible crimes that Dissender had committed while not making us wallow in a way that I was scared he was going to. I think especially Todd's fantasies were incredibly um, effective in conveying what was going on and they were also super disturbing the stuff that didn't work for me, we've already discussed. I think it just needs to be a little bit more careful with its portrayal of Nazism and make it more of a um, something that is a choice and something that humans have to grapple with instead of something that shoots up from the ground and takes control of you. Mm, yeah. um, I'm going to give it three. Three. Three? That's three a, bright red. Three. Shine, wait, bright I got red Nicholas Pennywise Stupid, clown <laughs> Three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Very good. Um, I my problems with the book personally were more about again how the end we we spent we all spent we all of a sudden spent a lot of time with you know your Morrises <laughs> and your Wise Cops. I thought you were going to talk about the gang. Braves again. The Braves and again, oh you know, God. this was this was going towards a masterpiece before oh I did the fact checking on the Braves and, and the Reds and the and the big red machine back in the day. Can we timestamp. We should Braves warning <laughs> advisory. Interest advisory alert. Um, But this still does remain one of my favorite um, novellas of King's. Um, I think the two characters are quite fascinating. If somebody wants to ring a bell, I think I've said fascinating at least five times during this podcast, by the way. Anybody wants to put a quarter in the 
You know how they have like thesaurus jar. You know how they like uh, when it gets full, we'll buy you thesaurus. They have those like kill counters out there. Someone's gonna go through this and like tally up how many times you say fascinating and do that. I think we've said disturbing like seven thousand times. Yeah, that's. I think that wins the cake. That wins the pound cake of the of the episode. Um, I think that the character of Todd, um, in terms of his writing of children, is very fascinating. No, I, I'm still intrigued by that character. I think it's the darkest child character he's written. I would go so far as to say he's actually even worse than Henry Bowers. If you want to talk about like oh, yeah. non-supernatural yeah, Henry kids. Bowers is stupid and controllable. He's stupid. And yeah. maybe, well, he becomes a killer, but is that more of a supernatural thing? Yeah, you he's know? like possessed. Yeah, Bowers is exactly. a dumb-dumb, though. And, you know I mean? like, and I, I'll tell you what. I, don't, I'm not, I want to challenge Henry Bowers, but Henry Bowers is not stabbing any winos 39 times, right? You know what I'm saying? Um it's still an interesting read for me. I, I still enjoy reading. Unlike Mac, though, I've read this like three times. Oh, I can't do it. But no. I'm, a, I'm a relatively fast reader, so if I couldn't spend like a month or two with this book, there's no way it was going to happen. Yeah, if you're so. burning through it at the rate that you read, maybe. Um, but I, I spent some time with this, and I, I just couldn't. And so uh, because of all that, though, I will, I will give this um, – I'm going to give it the four bright red Pennywise Clown Noses out of um, five. Now, again, that would be – that would equate to, I think, two um, dull – um, blue. What were the opposites again for the nickel stupids? I don't remember. It's dull blue, nickel stupid mime toes. Not yeah. mime toes. Yeah, that's right. That's what it would be. We're too. so sorry. We keep bringing that back because I think it's fucking hilarious. You know, I, I know say, you guys no, don't no, care. No, 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 no. In our last episode, Mel, yeah, somebody asked listen? us the question about the background and the lore of nickel stupid. And, and we, we went into it. it. Well, don't, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you all about yeah. that later on. We promise. <laughs> okay, so I love that's I love. We all love Nickel Stupid. You know what we should do? If somebody out there is, a, is an animator, please draw us what you think Nickel Stupid would look or like. Or not, just oh, a yeah. drawing. Just, I would take it a still life. Oh, yeah. Still <laughs> drawing. Maybe a five-minute short film. <laughs> hey, if you want to make a short film, a flip book, do whatever you want to do. We would love to see it. We posted all of our stuff, obviously. We should actually really reach out for, for that to happen. Yeah, okay, well, that's the end of our talk of At Pupil, the novella. Now let's get into the late 90s adaptation of Brian Singer's Apt Pupil. Don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. You saw it on the television. I want to hear about it. Hear about what? Everything. What? Everything. Everything they're afraid to show us in school. Far from the shadow of suspicion. Far from the scene of any crime. Todd Bowden has discovered a secret. If you could let me in for a minute, I just want to talk. Talk? I don't have anything to say to you, boy. You were there. You did those things. I'm an American. You've no right to come here and say these lies about me. I have your fingerprints. I have your photographs. What do you want? I want to hear about it. Everything. Okay, so I read this story again, quite disturbed by it. Some might even say fascinated by it. Um, so I went to the movie thinking, okay, Brian Singer's coming off Usual Suspects, a movie I loved, I, I still love. And I thought that he was really going to go there with this movie. And I thought the movie was good 20 years ago. Watching it again, though, I think my appreciation has diminished a little more. I don't think – I think they let they they let the foot off the accelerator a little bit in this. I don't think they go as far as they should have gone, in my opinion. Um, anybody, Mel, you just 
seen this and heard about this for the first time recently. So what did you think about the movie think, adaptation? And I think that's a bad way to approach it, honestly, because what I do is if I haven't seen the movie, I read it and I watch it and it's all in this like very compressed time frame. So one thing that I never really understand about the films when I do that is like how thrilling they can be because I've just read the book. Yeah. If it follows the book very closely, I know where things are going in a general sense and I'm not on the edge of my seat, really. I feel like I, you know, that sucks. I'd, I would much rather come to the movie knowing nothing. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. The movie toned it down, but it also tried to do things that aren't in the book that I don't think were completely successful or, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, consistent throughout, like Todd has these, these weird waking hallucinations of, mm-hmm. of victims of the Holocaust that never really, it never made sense yeah. Yeah. because he's not feeling guilty about these people. He's just kind of curious about them. Like, it seems to upset him a little bit, but it's it's just it's weird. They're scary. Like I think those sequences are scary, but I, I don't really understand why that happened. It's like I would buy that more from Deuce and their right like, or, or I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. Um, Ian McKellen's great, but I yeah. I think that like he plays Dusender a little bit um, drier and weaker and, and more slow talking as mm-hmm. I would have than I would have like. I really wanted to see the transformation into this interrogate in, into this personality. And, like, I want him to, like, get booming, you know? Like, yeah. and it never really happened. And I thought, I, I really didn't like the guy who played Todd. He just he just didn't talk a lot. He needed to talk more and be that that grinning sociopath. And instead, he was a little bit dumber and a little bit slower. I hear you, Mel, especially with McKellen, because we, we've seen McKellen shortly after that. Like, the action movies become this booming, dominating mm-hmm. presence. And, and you don't really see him transform. I wanted his Richard III Oh, guy even go back to the this. mid-'90s. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's go. Um, <laughs> let's go, everybody. Let's, hop let's, in. Let's talk, let's talk Dickie the Third. And I'm not talking about Dick Bowden. Um, Matt, what did, you, what did you think about the... Uh, what did you think about the adaptation? Because you had seen it for the first time yeah, recently, so, right? Yeah, so, so I saw it a couple years ago. And I, and for me, um, uh, it, it, I, I saw it with, with a friend of mine that, that really liked it. And so I was interested in seeing it like with them. And um, I liked the... I liked... I mean, I love Ian McCallum, first of all. He's, he's great in pretty much everything he does. Um and it was interesting because I was coming from it, the other standpoint, which is this is kind of why I like having seen all these adaptations before reading the books. Because, you know, everybody says the book's always better than the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's fine. So even if I've seen a really awful adaptation, like Maximum Overdrive or something, like I was excited to read the book because I knew ultimately like the source material has got to be better. Mm-hmm. So I was always excited to read it. So having not read the story um, I think the movie impacted me more than than it would if I had read it, especially with the ending change. Um, but uh, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't as um, frightening and um, like like you guys were saying, they 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 took the foot off the off the gas a little bit. Like I I I didn't feel the the amount of dread and 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 horror that I wanted to. And I mean, there's some really disturbing sequences in that movie, and they're right. Mm-hmm. They're pretty much straight from the book, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't love the movie. Not that anyone really probably loves people, but I didn't. I didn't think it was like a great film. I, I, I for my notes, I agree. I agree with Mel with the whole McKellen performance. I think when I was reading the book, I, I did keep thinking about Amy McKellen. I will say that. Yeah. Really. yeah. Um, uh, they go some places with it in the movie that they do not in the book, and you might have been alluding to this, Mel, um, with some of the depiction of, like, for instance, when. When Dustin is wearing that uniform for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, Todd looks at him in almost a lustful way. 
Oh man, I'm so glad you brought this up because I want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of that throughout too. There's a lot of like the. I I was in a big argument with Ian before this because he's like, this movie has all these homoerotic and homophobic elements, and I'm like, I just don't see it. I feel like it's juxtaposed with Nazism as in a way to to be like, yeah, they're both secrets you can keep, but Nazism is like the real problem here. I didn't see any homophobic things going on. I, I saw there was definitely some homoeroticism from the lens of, of Singer. I felt like this was like a another this is like a different example of what you think of the male gaze when it comes to filmmakers. Um in this way. But now he was kind of exploring these characters in that way. Or especially there's a sequence when um when Todd's having a dream and they kind of like have this overhead shot of mm-hmm. his of his torso and everything mm-hmm. else. And there's even a sequence later on when Dustinder and um Todd are really having it out and Dustinder kind of like puts his arm around him like almost as if to embrace mm-hmm. him. And then, or, and then it's just something's almost sensual about it in a way. I don't. I, there's a line. Read, there's a line I, where he's like, "Don't you see you're fucking me or whatever?" And he goes, "My my dear boy, we're yeah. fucking each other." And I'm like, "I can't believe they put that line in the movie. Yeah, it was yeah. so lame in the book. Why did they and put that in the movie?" There, like in that moment too. So there was just, there was some of that I felt throughout, and that kind of leads to something else though. Is that this is something I forgot about because this happened 20 years ago before the movie came out. There's that locker room scene where you see. You know, naked students. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of students were underage. Oh, and took or I guess they filed. I got it right here. They um, there was a lawsuit that came out. Fourteen-year-old extra filed a lawsuit claiming that the filmmakers had ordered him and other minors to strip for a scene that was shot in the showers during one of Todd's first nightmare fe- uh, sequences. So there was a lot of controversy. That was before the movie came out, too. Interesting. So there was a lot of controversy that came out around that with Brian Singer, and then I'm not doing tabloid stuff here, but. A couple of years ago, um, Brian Singer was also accused of some underage inappropriateness hmm. at some, some of his parties, and you know, that, like solicitation. No, he he. Brian Singer, I guess, has these parties, and sometimes, hmm, how do I say this? Yeah. Anyway, everybody Google Brian Singer parties, <laughs> yeah, and you'll seriously. find the information. Okay. I don't want to get caught up in sure. a you know. But I, I do. I really am interested in your take on this because yeah. I feel like. Yes, that element is definitely there. And there's the point where he can't um, get aroused with Becky in the car. And she says, oh, maybe you're into men. Yes. And there's the end where he says, if you tell anyone I'm a Nazi, I'm going to tell everyone you touched me inappropriately. Yeah. And so there are definite, I mean, it's it's throughout the movie. And I feel like him saying, you know, put this on. I want to see you in it. Yeah. About the right? uniform is like, sure, you can go there. But, my, but Ian's point here is that there is a parallel... Um, between homosexuality as being seen as an aberrant behavior mm-hmm. and Nazism as being seen as an aberrant behavior, and I and I was like, I don't know if they're trying to say that, but I, I because well, Brian not, Singer, I mean, it, it maybe doesn't have to do with intent. It's just a trope. That, yeah, that, but I think well, right. Brian Singer, I mean, he is a homosexual, so that's where I might I didn't take know some. That. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't know if he knows that either. So that might have you look at it a different way. Because if, if I didn't know that, maybe I would have looked at it like, well, are you trying to say that? Evil and homosexuality is tied together, but I don't think that was uh, yeah. sort of a singer. Well, and going my whole there. point was when he kills the bum. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he. The bum is a is is offering sexual favors and says like you know don't be don't worry I've done this before. Yeah. And Ian McKellen says so have I, but he means I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah, bum exactly. means something totally different. Well, and to me, that's a that's a that's a clear way of separating. Yeah. The two I, things. And that's in the book too. And, yeah. and contradicting yeah. them. But I don't know. Now I'm. I, and part of my problem is I feel like I wasn't really grasping Ian's argument. 
but it's an interesting thing. And we really had it out over this, like oh, this wow. whole morning. Like Whoa. there's an article that I need to read when I go home that's that's written on, um, now I can't remember the magazine, but he said it was an, a very established cinema magazine about homophobia and homoeroticism in this movie. So I'm very interested in it. Well, that, cause again, if you look at it from the perspective of like Brian Singer, who I think also wrote the adaptation and obviously directed it, like I wonder what, what he has to say about that. <laughs> Accusations of homophobia, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's... That's very strange. I, I know when I was watching the movie, I I, I definitely picked up on yeah, like a little bit of that. Like you're saying, like when he puts the uniform on, he's kind of like really into yeah, it, yeah. and or just even the the first the first sexual dream that he has. Well, and more so in the book, I guess. But when the first sexual dream he has, or the or what dream he has, like Dusner's in there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And like even though it's it's focused around a, a, a girl, but. Um, <clears throat> But like I'm, I have a hard time because like again when I watch this movie I I know Brian Singer I know that he's and I'm not saying that you know uh, I don't know because because I know he's homosexual I I have a hard time believing that he was like why would he say that well the argument really is not say, the argument you know, is yeah, not yeah, that yeah. the intent was to be homophobic it's just that this trope is almost inescapable especially mm-hmm. because there is even you know outside of the movie there's like kink related to nazis and queerness there's like all this stuff yeah. um and so it's just like crazy interesting to me and he was like i'd have a hard time believing this is, isn't in the source material and i'm like it really isn't not to me anyway no like, i didn't read that all in the it's source very material. much his sexual proclivities are totally equated with violence there's nothing about no. like it really isn't there and i mean and singer had been dying to do this adaptation like he put off he he rejected the Truman Show and The Devil's Own. Oh my god! I mean, and he really wanted to make this movie like above everything else. So I, first of all, what we should do is post that article. That yeah, you're talking I'll find about. it. I'll we find should it. post yeah. it on our socials because um, that's definitely an interesting follow up to this. I, li- I like to. Read and it I wonder what our our listeners think too, like because they, I'm sure a lot of them have read before or seen the movie, you know, vice versa. Uh, we'll yeah, because we'll I sure don't, to, know. We'll, I don't we, know. We'll be sure to post that on but, Facebook, for instance, and have and ask the readers what they think, or the people have, not necessarily the readers, but the people who have seen the movie. Yeah, because they I, get the same impressions. Yeah, because I I, I I picked up on a little bit of that in the movie, but um, and definitely not not in the book as much because it's very much just like he's aroused by doing these evil deeds yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's violent. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, David Schwimmer, perfect casting. Uh, great transition from. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Let me say something about David Schwimmer. I really this wanted was, to get... So this was right in the middle of the um, his own Monica baby phase from uh, Friends. <laughs> from Friends. So I feel like it was, let's slap a mustache on David Schwimmer and throw some glasses on so we know this is definitely not Ross Geller from Friends. Um, I, growing up, I th- thought, I guess I thought um, David Schwimmer's a good actor and everything. But he takes himself so seriously. And, and the older I get, the more I look back and I'm like, just lighten up. You're that's why he's perfect friends. for the guidance counselor role. He is Because they point, take themselves so seriously. Well, here's the thing. I cannot <laughs> – I, this is what we're doing our Stephen King write-ups for Consequence of Sound. I, I even made point I, – I can only talk about at people for like 50 words for the movie. But I made sure to point out how ridiculous David Schwimmer looks in a black mustache. And, um, and that is, stands true today. Uh, I, you know, he's fine. He, he does play like kind of like the, somebody you could easily like, like put one over on, you know, kind of like his character in Band of Brothers, a similar situation. Not obviously, uh, somebody in World War II, but, um, yeah, Schwimmer's definitely there. 
And he's definitely in the movie. He's in the movie. <laughs> he's in the movie. But this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Is I do think the reveal that um, he didn't actually meet Todd's grandfather, it makes more sense having the meet at a graduation ceremony and saying, where's your grandfather? As opposed to being in the hotel room three years later and saying, hey, I remember that somebody, a student of mine's grandfather <laughs> yeah, lives gonna, in town. Let me give him I'm a call. Go drive and so I, did, I remember watching the movie being like, oh, this is actually, this is a good, this is a good take here. Yeah. Now, while the character Morris is not as explored, he's a, I think the character of Morris is a different name in the movie, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I can look it up. But um, that, is, that is the Nazi, by the way, from one of the Nazis from Last Crusade, if anybody's seen yeah. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. The Holocaust survivor, an apt pupil, is yes. a Nazi in The Last Crusade. Yes, he is. He is. I, and he's one of the more famous Nazis in The Last Crusade as well. How about that? Um, I, I was kind of... Moved by that part where he he grabs the oh nurse God, yes. and um, hugs her, and he has so little time, but you get so much in that sequence alone, and that is where I feel the movie also failed because you get much of the impact of the book is not necessarily even through the dialogue; it's through the inner workings of these people, and so that was a good example of we see the anguish on Morris's face, and when he embraces that nurse at the end. That's all we really need to know. We know yeah. what he's seen. We know he recognizes him. We know everything's coming back. And I feel like in the book, there was so much dialogue that could just, that, and it was never going to have the impact that you get um, reading the peak parts of the novella for me. I don't know. I think that that sequence really worked for me too. And yeah. I know that I said about the book, like, oh, it's better that we get all this stuff instead of just being like, and who was in the hospital bed next to him? But in the film, that yeah. works. Yeah. That approach actually did work for me. And it was just like, Ugh, awful. It's, it's, it was a rough sequence. And then, okay, but then that leads us into the Weisskopf. And I, I forgot the other person's name, but Joe Morton is the other cop in this, okay? I love Joe Morton. Severely underused in this movie, by the way. But that goes back to after they interrogate Todd in the movie, and they ask, so you think he's, he's, uh, he's, he's innocent? Like, no, we're done here. <laughs> that actually is what oh, Mel is really? fearing. Like, yeah. in, the, in the movie, they're like, he's like, no, nah, he's, he's innocent. Let's keep he's moving fine. on. And so Todd basically just gets away with it there. And like, I, I, I don't know. I thought that was kind I of I think I, I know what Singer is trying to do with Todd in the movie. And I, I, I don't think it's half as impactful as, it, as the ending of the, of the book. But, it, you know, he's trying to say that, that these people are out there and, and if they don't want to be found, they, they will do what's necessary to not be found. Just like Dusseldorf was able yeah. to like live for so long in the States without being caught. Todd's going to keep going on and he's going to use, you know, the things that he knows and the, the evil that he knows to, to get by and to silence people and to continue to do what he does. I just personally feel like the book ending is just way more like jarring and just well, like, wow. But, I, that that um, ending where he, it's like, the, you like hear like the basket swishing through the hoop is so stupid. And, and the and basketball say, rim is like yeah. over Ian McKellen's dead face. face. It like, it's so dumb. It, I it do. Like, I ah. like. I like the the threats he makes against. Ed. Yeah, like I, I believe that. that. He's a I dreadful boy, and it yeah. ends on a dreadful note. But yeah. I agree with you, Justin. That like. Um, as a matter of fact, on the ending, Singer wrote. Um, Singer said, "I told Stephen the ending reads so beautifully, talking about the novella. I could never measure up to it. I would have killed it." So I will give him credit because you could make that ending like some like modern, like really over the top. And the problem with this movie, honestly, and another problem I have with it is there is way too much music being played throughout this thing. The score yeah. dominates; like it undercuts a lot of tension. I feel like, yeah. and, whereas yeah. I love the I love the music in in Shawshank. Shawshank. I feel here it's just 
you, you, it's just um, you'll need it. You, you don't know, need it's, it. It's, uh, uh, I was going to say, even though I saw the movie before reading the book, when I was reading the book, uh, boy, I, I, I pictured you know Renfro and and Ian McKellen, but for uh, I could not remember that. I did not remember it was David Schwimmer as as Red, 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 Red. and the only person that the person that I had in my head was like a younger Michael Kelly uh, you know Doug Stamper from oh, House of Cards yeah 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 <laughs> uh, I don't know why but that's who I pictured so when when we, when we came back to uh, when I was looking at the movie again um, and reading up about it I was like oh god yeah David Schwimmer with that mustache yeah it came right back to me um, how can you forget I know well <laughs> I tried so hard to forget you know but the the uh, like like uh, tried so hard like to the grandfather forget. says the past doesn't rest easily so it came <laughs> that's back, what he's talking about came back swimmer's mustache in this it's movie it's like the monkey's paw like do you want to see it oh <laughs> it is coming full circle here oh, but, club. what was I going to say oh the the fact that they don't pick up the murderers like Todd isn't killing people he kills yeah. the bird and then we only see one unsuccessful cat torture mm-hmm. from Ian McKellen. Yeah. Um, also kind of blunts the plot for me a little bit. But it's, it'd be so hard to do that. It, it, there's just not enough time. So I can see why they went that way. And I will say the murder of, the, of Elias is like really gritty and well yeah, done. It, like, but again, that's the only awful. the only reason that Todd kills anybody in the movie is because right. Dustin hasn't done it yet. It's not right. he's actually seeking it out. So in so, the movie, he, like, really is corrupted, oh, I yeah, feel like. He doesn't even tell Dustin Dury he's killing people. He's doing it on his own, you yeah. know? And and so there's a couple of things with that. Is that because of the the, uh, the time constraint in the movie as opposed to the, it taking place over a number of years in the novella, it takes place over a, seniors, a senior year in high school, that diminishes it a lot for me because I think... You was switch it? those. The novella takes oh, place over Oh, the novella takes place over a few years, and then the, the movie adaptation yeah. is, like, a senior year of high school. Sorry. And... So you get you get Todd like having a wet dream about the Nazis like fifteen minutes into the movie too. I don't know if you recognize that. if they. I wasn't even sure if he had a wet dream or if he was just like super sweaty. I thought he kept looking down at himself. <laughs> I, I didn't know what was going I knew, on. There. I knew in the book it was, but then I was like, is he just like sweaty? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it just seemed. It also seems so. I, I love the idea of the quote unquote corruption taking place over a long period of time, having this draw out. I suppose just happening over a span of like seven or eight months. Um. What else I, I oh there's something I have to mention here before there's actually something else I want to talk about there's another adaptation that almost happened in the 80s I'll talk mm-hmm. about it in a moment here but we have to go back to the basketball scene everybody um, once again this is an earlier basketball scene during um, gym I think we're always playing basketball I can tell you right now oh no um, are you kidding me with this as a basketball aficionado there were way too many people going for that basketball when they were missing it before the whistle blew. Anybody will tell you that you'll have a couple of people go in and you'll have the other group um, go to the other side of the court to start the next play. Now, wait, is this, like, is this like during an actual basketball game or is this just the people at the gym or during a class? Because I think it was during practice. There's no, uh. I think it was during practice. So I don't know <laughs> if Brian Singer wasn't watching a lot of hoops back in the 90s. I know it's a much more defensive-oriented league, as, as we all know. That's going to that, that cost it a nose, folks. That, I think much, that's like, <laughs> much like the baseball scores in a novella Mel. Yeah, you're right. I, I can't. I can't stand by this. You know, Michael Byrne, who played uh, I, I, Ben Kramer, is his name in this, not Morris. Yeah, I think is, okay. is the Nazi from uh, Last Crusade, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also plays old Grindelwald in uh, Deathly Hallows, uh, which will be played by Johnny Depp, and as we mm. all know, is a terrible human being. So, <laughs> Johnny Depp, star of Secret Window. <laughs> 
which is a Stephen King, which is basically a Stephen King novella. So yeah. we're fine. We're fine there. So um, now here's some information that uh, is, is, you know, I'll say it. It's fascinating. Back in 1987, director Alan Bridges started filming an app pupil adaptation starring really? Silver Sp- Spoons, Ricky Schroeder, and Excalibur's Nicole Williamson as Dustinder. I could totally see that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially Ricky Schroeder. Um, have you ever seen Scalper Mel? No. Excellent. It's, it's a Arthurian thing. He plays Merlin. In it. Have you? It's ever, really cool. Have you ever seen Spawn? No, but I know. <laughs> he's I know literally the same character. <laughs> Nicole is also a, he's a famous British stage actor for the most part. Yeah. Um, they actually have about forty minutes worth of the film, so I guess probably about a third or even almost half the film. Oh, and then send it pro- over, bro. Yeah, let's send it over. Hey, Mr. Bridges, send it over to us. No joke. Um, we'd love to talk to you. But God help you if you have any sports facts wrong. I'm, I'm, I will be scouring it. If you, if you mention any Reds Braves games in this 40 minutes, I'll be very upset. But um, but production ran out of money, mm. and they were actually able to resume about a year later. But uh, Ricky Schroeder had grown up too much. Now that tells me two things. They were also looking at time, a condensing time in the movie because wouldn't it make more sense for him to grow taller if they had stuck to the novella storyline? But you if know? they had shot it out of order, uh, that's you know true. I mean? He's gotten small as the evil within him grows. Yeah, see, his heart <laughs> shrunk in like his, Was it like like the heart shrinks? Yeah. And it's like now his whole body shrinking. This is you I look like shorter, boy. <laughs> after watching the movie, I was kind of both. I was like, did this even need to get made? Like, it's, it's so a, hard <laughs> to make it. I, I feel know, like it, it could have done with more changes if you really want to make it. I wonder if you could do like a after watching something like Alias Alias Grace on Netflix, which I can't stop speaking highly enough about. I wonder if you could do like a you could expand upon some things like you're saying, Mel, and make a like a mini like a five part limited series mini series about it. if you want to go through the years yeah. with him. If you could if you could do that, I, I, if you could, I don't want to see that. I don't want to spend that much time with these characters. Yeah, it's a fun time. What can I say? Oh man! Um, ultimately, but the film uh, Singer's film it opened to mixed reviews and bombed. It only made nine million at the box office, which is seven million less than Shawshank made, which wow. was considered a bomb. Of course, we don't consider App Pupil the, the classic that people consider it's Shawshank okay. today. So it's not stood the test of time. It didn't even stand during its own time. Was it, it critically? No, no. It, it was mixed reviews. I think it was probably like around fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Is this one of those movies where they they like didn't put King's name in front of it for some reason, or was it King, no, King's it's, name um, attached? No, because I remember the poster says something like from the director of Usual Suspects, of Usual Suspects, and from the mind of Stephen King. From misery and whatnot, so they they definitely had his name attached. But again, it's a horror film. I'm not so you surprised do want to that it bombed. To it. Just because it's such a sensitive subject matter, yeah. and to frame it as a as like a horror movie, even though it's really not a horror movie, it's just like a drama, like a dark, dark, dark yeah. drama, psychological thriller. Yeah, because thriller, I feel like, like psychological mind. I don't mean. know because when you start doing like you know. Uh, was uh, Red versus Dead the 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 Nazi zombies? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Snow. Dead, Snow. Red, Dead, Dead Snow. Snow. Well, like like that's one thing, but like when you when you start framing stories like this uh, as like a horror film, it kind of diminishes like like the real the reality of it. I think, and I, I don't uh, like that. Also, why I was saying the same thing about Marvel or DC, whatever superhero films, where the Nazis are just like. There and their villains, but like, no, we're not going to talk about like what Nazis are. No, <laughs> They're yeah, just yeah. the bad guys. Did we talk about that ter- that um, Transformers poster with like 
the the Nazi flags in the background. Oh, so it's like the real story or something like that. Have you seen this poster? For it was I think it was for the last Transformers movie. Oh my god! And it's like like Nazi flags in the background. It's like not the real story of what happened. Or here's the story you don't know or something like that. But you know, it's also another interesting connection is that you know we had Ian McKellen playing the, this horrible um, Nazi, and then. In X Men with Brian Singer, yeah. huh? with Brian Singer, he is the opposite. Magneto. <laughs> well, still Brian becomes, Singer still seems like a, to switch. The uh, I would say, <laughs> Magneto's still pretty much a bad guy, but uh, <laughs> he was a victim. Yeah, he, he's an absolute uh, victim. He was a victim yeah. of during the Holocaust, of course. Of um, oh, so wh- how many uh, nose are we giving this thing, Mac? Uh, I gave it like two and a half. Maybe I didn't think it was. It's like, an enthusiastic two and a half. It's a two and a half uh, bright red Pennywise clown noses for this. I, I didn't think it was like awful. I just I just didn't think that it it. Um, I didn't think it did what it needed to do, especially after reading it. And now I'm yeah. definitely like, now nah, this is just just pales in comparison to the book. And I'll echo what Mel said about it's it's kind of tough on the movie when you read it when you watch it right after yeah. you read the source material. Um, I'll also give it two and a half. I've I've said what I didn't like. Again, that basketball scene at the ending is is pretty pretty bad. It's not so much that they changed the ending; it's that they ended it with that like triumphant swoosh. Mel, Nazi, Nazi, <laughs> I got him. Yeah, um, uh, me. Two. I'm a I'm yeah. a, I'm a yeah. hard ass today. No, no, no. Straight no, that's two. Fine. I, I, I wavered. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Justin. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to like it, Mel. And then later you go back and watch it again. Like, executive producer Justin Gerber. <laughs> like, edited by oh, Justin Gerber. That's why he's not texting We know that's not the truth because of those basketball mistakes in there. Um, yeah. That's really, I would have been like, yo, pack the paint. <laughs> that's also why you didn't Fast like break, the ending the with, the, with the hoop switch because you're like, well, well, the velocity, that just, it just doesn't, wouldn't, you know. And I should have mentioned this before we give the ratings, but with Brad Renfrew, who's a tremendous. Um, child actor. He was tremendous in The Client, especially. That was his big breakthrough mm-hmm. a couple years earlier. Yeah. Unfortunately, actually around the time of that pupil, I know he got busted for doing some serious drugs, mm. and he died only about, I think, six or seven years later. Oh, my God, really? Uh, yeah. 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 He, you know, it's hard to say what somebody's going through when they're shooting a film when you're seeing it, but you could see that there was, it wasn't, it wasn't one of his better performances, I'll say. Um, he did manage to give one more really great performance in the film um, Bully that came out. I haven't seen that. It's yet. really, yeah. really, really good. If, if anybody good. out there wants to see something, talk about depressing material based on a true story, Bully. There you go. And that was, it takes place in Florida in the 90s if you want a nightmare situation. Um, check that out. We made it. We did it. Wow, How we long? Could, are, we, 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 went, we went longer than Shawshank for this one with three people. We are about 30 seconds shy of... Two hours and 30 minutes. However, wow. you know, there might be some editing involved. Uh, <laughs> estimate, estimate 2.30. I'm pretty happy Oof. with that. Good job, everybody. For, and this is the first time we've ever covered a story that was only three people, I think. So we're a bunch of talkative really? humans. And, yeah, uh, usually it's four or, five, four or five people when we what's, started. Uh, what's next on the old King docket? Well, Mac, that's a good question. Um, before I get to that, I do want to thank everybody once again for listening to the Losers Club each and every week. Please be sure to spread word about the podcast if you haven't already. If you haven't already... I think it's safe to say that the three of us would consider a holiday gift from you to all of us if you did. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, Facebook, Stitcher, wherever else you may listen to us. It really does help us a lot with those numbers. Um, Our next book, Mac, will actually be a continuation of different seasons with the third novella from the collection titled The Body, which is better known, of course, as Stand By Me. And we'll also be covering that film. Um... 
hopefully we'll have some more good news regarding that particular film uh, in the future. Maybe we'll have some people on from it. I don't want to say it's 100% yet. You should keep listening to us. That's all I'll say about that. Um, in the meantime, you'll definitely hear from us next week with some more King news and tweets. But until then, long days and pleasant nights. Swish. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.